You're listening to the Better Thoughts Podcast, brought to you by the Better Thoughts Campaign. And welcome to episode one of the Better Thoughts podcast. So I'm here today with a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Robbie Brown, who I know from university. So we'll get into his story in a wee minute. Obviously, you'll have seen from the title, we're going to be focusing on football, Robbie's journey into football and out of football, so what happened there um, and how he can give some advice to some people in a similar position to himself. Before we crack on, though, a um, little bit of housekeeping. So Obviously, being episode one, things are fairly new, so you've probably seen us from the Better Thoughts campaign, Instagram page. Do go and follow the podcast page as well, going to be keeping things separate, so if you're into the the general charity, follow the general charity page. If you're into the podcast, follow the podcast page. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it if you give us a rating over there. Um, Five stars if you love it. If you don't love it, I'd rather you message me and tell me why, and then I can change. You can also listen to it on Spotify. I don't think you can rate over there, so just go ahead and follow it or whatever, um, if that's what you use. And then what we'll do is we'll also do a video version on YouTube um, and probably cut up some clips. So any sort of interesting moments or highlights, you can you can see them all over there on the YouTube channel. So just make sure you go and follow those. Before we begin, special shout out to the sponsor of the podcast as a whole, Insight Sups. Uh, as I said during the trailer, if you haven't listened to the trailer, go ahead and listen to it. Gives you a bit of an insight into what, what we're what we're going to be doing. All of this uh, is thanks to, to Insight. Basically, Insight paid for everything to get the whole thing up and running. And it wasn't just a case of just picking any sort of company. Uh, I use Insight every single month and have done for the last couple of years. There's certain products that I think anyone who has either diagnosed depression, anxiety, or undiagnosed, there are some great health products uh, Insight do that can help you. Product highlight of the week uh, is not going to be about that. It's going to be about this podcast. So Foresight's Refocus, I've just had a scoop of this. This is basically like a cognitive enhancer. So instead of having a coffee, I had this. A little bit of caffeine, not too much caffeine, which is why I'm having it now because we're almost at six o'clock. Uh, but there's like tons of other ingredients in here, like cognizant, um, L-tyrosine, acetylcarnitine, loads of kind of like cognitive enhancer stuff as well. And on Robbie's recommendation, uh, I've also had some CBD. So I'm sure we'll talk about CBD later on the podcast. But anyway, now that all that is done, Robbie, my friend, how are you doing today? How's your day been? I'm doing very well. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, the day's been okay, actually. It's been good. I think the light helps massively. Um 100%. I'm a very early riser as it is. I've not set an alarm in the past couple of weeks. It's been great, actually. Just open my window up, um, rise at normally around about six o'clock. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. It's around about, yeah, as you say, coming up for six o'clock. And I'm feeling my energy levels have been pretty slow and steady throughout the day. So I'm feeling very good. But you've just had a scoop of insights up. So you're going to be very on the ball. So I better come, <laughs> I better get up to your oh, standard no. quick. Oh, definitely. I think touching on the uh, the light thing, that's massive for me. Uh winter winter's tough man see when it's dark all the time i was uh so i've, I've recently I'm, I'm in between jobs starting a new job in a couple of weeks 
um, you'll know from our previous work. I'm going back into what I did where you currently work. I won't reveal any your details, but mm-hmm. where you currently work, I'm doing that type of work again. Uh, Great. So yeah, but basically before when it was like December, January, you're getting up in the dark, going to work, leaving work in the dark. It's it's not great. Now that the sun's out, much, much better. I'm actually the complete opposite to you. I'm not an early riser at all. I struggle to get up in the morning all the time. Mm. Struggle to also even get to sleep, um, as you'll know as well. Yeah. But um, that's something that I'm working on to try and be an early riser. I think it really does help. Yeah, definitely. I think the vibe around wherever you live, especially in central Scotland and in places where we don't get the weather all year round, um, in Glasgow, where I live, I mean, just taking a walk around about seven o'clock, half past seven, walking through some of the parks, Glasgow Green, Kelvin Grove, there's such a nice atmosphere about the place. Um, People are out, people are together, obviously within reason right now, which is which is slowly opening up, but it's been very difficult over the last few months. So I think the combination of the dark weather and obviously being essentially locked up has not been good for anyone. So it was, you know, small bit of respite right now. I can see a light at the end of the tunnel, so long may it continue. Yeah. So t- touching on that, in general, how is your support system right now? So with your work life and your, your home life, how are you? How are you managing everything with lockdown just now? And we're, we're about to come out of it. I, th- I, think, I think I've done reasonably well, to be quite honest. It's been a bit of a whirlwind period for me during lockdown. Um, you know, started a new job. Um, Ten days in, we're sent home and been working from home ever since. So 13 months working from home in a very competitive industry, company, got to get up to that standard quick, not met my team, not met the wider team, only mm. know people from their Skype profile picture. It's hard. Yeah. Um, in terms of my support system, I've been very lucky in that I've formed an extended bubble with my parents who are back just outside of Edinburgh. So I've been back and forth. So when it comes to the time of being in the flat by myself, I live alone. The monotony of getting up and doing your work and not having that much interaction face to face, it makes it so much easier to just break that week up by going home. So I'm very lucky. I know that a lot of people aren't in the same position as me in relation to that, but I count myself extremely lucky in that regard. Yeah, definitely. I think especially living alone, um, having the opportunity to do that that bubble um, and, and get between is, is huge as well. Especially yeah. working working from home when you, when you live alone is... It's hard. I, I I was working from home, but I li- I lived with my parents, and even then it was it was it's been tough. Um, but as you say, we're we're slowly getting out of it. I had a look last night. Gyms are opening in like a week, which is good. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Yep. Next Monday, my session's booked in already. There was only two spaces left in the gym that I go to. Two I spaces left. So I. Go- it looks like I don't have to book at nine. Um, but I don't know. It does get quite busy. It's pure gym at Silverburn, so it does get really busy. So I imagine they will eventually put a booking system in place. But yeah. for just now, hopefully I can just rock up on the day. So so let, let's get into it. So basically, football. So basically, you. this all kind of stems from a LinkedIn post uh, that, you, that you'd posted. And the title of that is, Why I Retire from Football at 17. So I want to just sort of go all the way back to the start of that story. Talk about how you got into football, what football means to you. You can already see in the background that it means quite a lot to you. And and just what happened? What how far did you get? How did you get there? And what, what made you retire? So so where did football begin for you? What's your earliest memory basically of getting uh, into football or loving football? I guess that I didn't really love football when I was younger. I was very much into Yu-Gi-Oh! and computer games. Um mm-hmm. I'm an only child. I wasn't 
I, d I didn't have the kind of social male interaction when I was younger that a lot of people do. Um, no siblings. A lot of my wider family cousins are girls. I think that in terms of where football started, it was probably my dad uh, volunteered to coach my local team in Lithgow, just outside of Edinburgh. Um, and so I started playing when I was around about seven years old. Um, more for the routine and discipline than anything else and actually getting that mm -hmm. social interaction. I've always said from the very get-go, and I still stand by this today, football was good for me in that it gave me some kind of discipline. You know, when I was in the kind of higher echelons of football um, in pro youth, I was training three times a week and playing on a Sunday. Um, that rigid structure was always there in your week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. To some people, that's their worst nightmare. Um, and at the time when I wasn't enjoying football, that was more or less a nightmare to me. But looking back on it now, that kind of rigid structure of having these touch points during the week where you know what you're doing, you know exactly where you're going, you know that you're going to be getting physical exercise, interaction. I think I think that that part has always been good for me. So that's where it started, essentially. Yeah. Um, as so we when, slowly... When, when you said about, so obviously your dad sort of volunteering to, to coach the local team, is, did you just, did he do that as a way to say, right, Robbie, let's get you into sport? Or did, were you looking at doing that anyway? I don't know. I, th I think when you're, I think when you're around about that age, seven, eight, and you don't, you, you don't know what you're interested in. Your parents try and yeah. test you with everything, right? You know, whether it be sport, whether it be other things. For me, it was a case of every summer I would do a multi-activity course, which would mean that I was mm -hmm. sailing one day, kayaking the next, canoeing the next, nice. just so my parents could try and test to see what I liked and didn't like, essentially. Mm -hmm. So back then, I think that. Yeah, I guess it is. I mean, I hated those multi-activity courses. <laughs> I couldn't stand them. I was, I was brutal at sailing. Didn't enjoy it whatsoever. Kayaking was pretty fun, but it was just at that point where you're, you're you know, seeing what you like and what you don't like. But football was, I, I guess that the football culture in Scotland is a big thing to talk about because obviously football is the most popular sport in Scotland, the UK and globally. Yeah, so I, I think that football was always going to play a part in my life somehow. Um, all the guys that I was close with at my primary school played football. It was a way of spending time with them out with school. Um, and it was a good opportunity to, for my parents to mingle and them to get to know people. My parents were relatively neutral enough at the time. So mm -hmm. it was a good opportunity for them to branch out and meet people also. So um, played for the same team, uh, a club called BFC. Uh, I can't even remember what the B stands for. I think it's Bayliston. I think it's an area on the left that was so <laughs> arbitrary and random. I don't know why it was called that. Bayliston uh, is near me. <laughs> Bailey, Bailey Lands. That's what Bailey it was. Bailey Lands football club. Bayliston is like Glasgow area. So Baileyland in the Lithgow was like one small estate in the Lithgow consisting of around about five houses. God knows why it was called that, but it was. Fair enough. Good, good um, so, so played with them, actually played at centre back and then I played up front. Mm -hmm. And then as I started to stretch, I think I was about six foot by the time I was 12. Um, yeah, inevitably, you, you won't be able to tell from uh, from looking at the, the podcast, Bro Robbie's a big lad. He's uh, a big lad. Big lad pushing six foot four now, which is which is crazy. Um, I get Still my annual, I get my annual physical review from my doctor. He said, "Robbie, you've grown in the past two years. You've grown an inch, which is getting crazy, to be quite honest." Interesting, you say that. This is going to be a topic in a future podcast. I, I was turned down an annual physical recently. I, Why? Uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> this is I'm veering off a wee bit, so I'll, I'll touch on it quickly. But yeah, I, I asked my doctor. I was like, "Can I come in and just have uh, a full?" Full, full panel, get bloods done, or do like everything. I was like, I'm overweight, I'm trying to change that. I, I, I yo-yo quite a lot, so mm -hmm. I was like, I wanna, I wanna get some things checked out. Um, he said no, so I had to do it privately. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking, to, I'm looking to change uh, GP. <laughs> if anyone knows any GPs, let me know. Yeah, definitely. I, that actually stemmed, and I know that I'm kind of caveating from what we're talking about, but I actually did it as a, as a consequence of health anxiety being yeah, obsessed same. with the fact there was something wrong with me. You know, 
hearts racing, panic attacks, um, just a, a feeling that something was wrong, but never quite being able to pinpoint what it was. You know, pain mm-hmm. in my back, it's my kidney, whatever. You know, it's yeah. it's crazy those spaces that you get yourself into with that kind of stuff, especially when you're by yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've that was that was one thing that gave me peace of mind, but it didn't give me peace of mind for that long. It gives you peace of mind for a couple of weeks because you know, and then something creeps in that you've yeah. maybe not felt before or somewhere on your body. Oh, I didn't ask the guy about that when and I was doing my physical. What can that exactly. be? It's crazy. But anyway, sorry, I'll 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 veer back on track. Yeah. So um, <laughs> so yeah, put, put the gloves on when I was around about eleven or twelve. Um, really enjoyed it, loved it. But it was at that time much, where you're playing seven. Than the other positions. Yeah, I loved it. To be honest, I really really did enjoy it. It was that time where. I I still wanted the glory of playing outfield, so I would go mm. in goals for one half. I'd come out the second half, uh, and I was I was honestly my dad. We, we actually had, used to have so much fun with it. I guess it was at that point where you're moving from seven aside football into eleven aside football. Yep. So it's that couple of years beforehand, and I think my dad had just given up all hope. We were we were there, there was three teams in Baileylands Football Club, um, the Tigers, the Lions, and the Panthers. Mm. I was in the Tigers. Right. We were. I don't know if anybody. <laughs> Everybody's seen the film Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell, but yeah, their yeah. team, their Love team that. is called the Tigers and they're brutal. And that was that's what we were like, honestly. <laughs> it, it was like it was like the biggest band of misfits put together in this one team. I think that in the process of creating these three teams, the co- the other two coaches, you know, picked the boys that they thought had the best potential. My dad just didn't care. He really didn't yeah. care. He wanted me in the team because it was his son. Yeah. Um, parents that he knew their kids would come in the team and it just ended up being an absolute write-off. There was a small redemption story because we did actually turn into a relatively good team and we beat just one like of the other Bayland. Just like the film, absolutely. <laughs> there was there was nobody going on each other's shoulders and headering the ball in, unfortunately, oh. which happens in the film. But yeah, close enough, mate. You should have seen some of the things this that we is, saw um, in that park. This is unexpected for me. So I I, I didn't know um, sort of the beginning story of your footballing career because obviously we met at, at university. So we met yep. after all of this had happened. I expected you to be top class at this age so you're so you're sort of saying that 12 13 you've just come into goalkeeping and you're you're in this team your dad's put you into this team and it's this sort of band of misfits obviously we'll, we'll get into this mm-hmm. where does the talent come from or do you think you're just naturally gifted in in, in like athletics or where where did the change happen i th- i think i am gifted athletically and that i can play most sports relatively well I could yeah. play golf relatively well. Um, tried out rugby when I was younger. Didn't quite enjoy it, but I was told that I did relatively well back then. I was a big lad. Yeah. I imagine um, rug- rug- rugby's, rugby's my sport, as you'll know. I, I never played football. Um, I like, love football. Never good at it. I always, um, I was the big lad that was put at centre-back um, mm-hmm. all the time. So that, that was me. But, but rug- yeah. rugby was my sport that I ended up getting into. Um, and I came out of it for the same sort of, thing you were talking about earlier on about the routine uh when i got to the age of people are starting to think about mm, I'm, I'm 18 i moved up quickly because i'm a big lad as well but i'm not i'm like wide right mm. <laughs> uh, so i was playing under 18s at like 15 um, yeah and then at that point people start thinking i want to go to senior and now they're training every day and i didn't want to do it so that's why i came out of it um but yeah so so basically you're just sort of got this sort of natural call it a gift natural athletic gift mm-hmm. you do have the body type for it definitely um so where where did you go from there how did you make the step from this local club to the next spot and where where did you go so, so we so we got to the point where i'm 12 years old um we're making that progression 
between seven asides and eleven asides. And I think in the last year of playing seven asides, I was playing for Livingston Football Club and also BFC. So mm-hmm. Livingston used to be revered as a very good academy in Scotland. They used to actually be regarded, them and Falkirk seem to be the best academy for bringing young players through. you got yeah. Lee Griffiths, Robert Snodgrass, um, Graham Dorans that went on to play with West Brock. You've got a lot, of, you lot, a lot of players that came out of Livingston. They've, they've definitely fallen in the pecking order in that regard now. I think they've actually disbanded their academy because it's not making them any really? money. But back then there was a lot of focus on, on Livingston. It was during the time that they actually went into administration um, a guy, Massoni, an Italian owner, ended up fleeing the country. He left his car full of parking tickets and just left. So it was around about that time. People might wow, remember that. Okay. There's a piece of kind of Scottish football history. Yeah. Um, so it was around about that time. So in the final year of playing seven sides, I knew that I wasn't going to progress with BFC. I knew that I was going to Livingston. But at that time, I still loved playing with my friends. So mm-hmm. I think I'm playing midweek with Livingston during the week, training once with them, training once with BFC and, and playing yeah. with, with BFC also. So and just what, to keep my what, eye on. What, what level is Livingston? What, what, what do you call that? That's so that that at the time was regarded as a pro youth club. It wouldn't That's be now. Huge, be called, yeah. So at that at that time, you're you're playing pro youth football, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pro youth football. So you're at the start of that pro youth journey, which I'm sure we'll talk about extensively because I've got a lot of strong views on it. But yes, essentially. But 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 back then it was it was something that I didn't really think about as much. When you're that age, you don't think about things nearly as much as you do when you're 16, 17. You yeah. start to hyperanalyze everything. Your interaction with players, your game. Um, mistakes that you've made, all that kind of stuff. I just didn't really care back then. I was, mm-hmm. I, I felt quite, I felt quite free. And I, I, a guy that I that, that's from Linlithgow that didn't go to my primary school, but went to my my high school. He also played with Livingston as well. So it was good. I, I you know, I knew one of the guys. It's quite daunting, I guess, when you come from boys' club and you go into a pro youth setup. Yep. You don't know anyone. It's a big step up. The training's immensely different. Um, you're doing even at 12, 13 years old. You're doing shape. You're doing. Um, passages of play you're doing unopposed yeah. shape where you know teams in transition all that kind of stuff so it's stuff that i'd never ever thought about that's i a mean weird, t- it's a weird concept to me because what you were saying about um you know hyper analyzing at that age you there's such a bliss at that age you don't yeah. think about anything Every, the world is great uh, for most people it, I'd, I'd imagined you know that kind of age but then when it comes to football you're expected to have this adult mind almost um and i for the, the little bits that I know about pro youth, and I'm sure you you, well, you'll end up agreeing with, with the points that I think as well. Um, the level of maturity that you're expected to have uh, at that sort of stage, especially yep. when you're saying about the training, like all these sort of drills that you're going to be doing um, yeah. at, at this age, I think that's... I don't agree with it. I think it's a bit early to be challenging footballers mentally that way. But, but how, how, how did you feel with the training at that point? Did you, as you say, you just didn't, register were you just happy to be playing at the time the training was fine because i'm over back then it wasn't as i i do remember back from those days it was never a case of me getting involved in outfield training they would they would employ a kind of third party goalkeeping coach to come in and so i was making saves and doing handling mm-hmm. get involved in a shooting drill at the end that was great i loved that i'm just making saves constantly i'm diving all around the place that's what it's yeah. all about but i guess it, it, i started to notice small changes even back then i was quite cognizant of them in that you know, my dad's the coach. I'm training with my boys' club at the time, um, concurrently with also playing with Livingston. And, you know, the stuff that my dad, and it's not just because he's my dad. He, my dad, yeah. if anything, was harder on me than he was on the other boys because you, you kind of have to do that, don't you? You can't be seen to... You can't have favourites, definitely, in the, in the you, team, you can't, especially when well, it's your son. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. I mean, you, you, you probably can. He could probably have gone a little bit easier on me, but he would always... I mean, to, to put it in perspective we didn't care in that final season at all. I was coming up for every corner and a centre half was going in goals. 
That's how much I didn't care. I would catch the ball, put the ball down at my feet and start running up the pitch. It was crazy. It was an absolute riot. And so going from that into play, playing games, it's when we started playing games that I started to notice the difference. And that's the period of transition between seven asides and 11 asides. I'm now all of a sudden in a massive goal. I'm looking above me. Even, yeah. even at that point, I'm now, still... Now you, now you need to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And so I had an advantage in that sense. I was always good at coming, taking crosses, if not catching it, punching it. I was quite a big guy. I was physical. But the language from the coaches at that time were, I remember we played against, and when, when you're playing for Livingston, they're, they're part of that pro youth setup. So you're playing the likes of Celtic, Hibs, yeah. Hearts, Every Rangers. You're, you're playing these guys, even though Livingston, I believe, were in League One at the time, or they're in the championship, maybe. Um, or the old League One, as it was called. Yeah. Um, and I remember... I must have done something during the game. I rolled it out and I shouldn't have done. The boy had too much pressure on him. They ended up scoring from it. I remember coming off at 13 years old and the coach was saying, you're killing us, Robbie. You're absolutely killing us. And I was like, nobody's ever told me that before. Yeah. Nobody's ever spoken to me in that way before at this age. Yeah. And so that was something that you have to adapt to very, very quickly. Um, and I think my, I, was, I think I was at Livingston for around about 18 months and my coach was always very hard on me. But I mm. knew the other scouts were there watching me. Parents parents talk, my parents knew. They were always very open with me about it. They were, yeah. for, for better or for worse, perhaps they could have kept that from me. But I mean, at that time, like I say, I didn't really care that much. So it wasn't as if it was putting pressure on them telling me that other yeah. scouts were there watching I think, me. I think so, if, it was, if it was stressing you out, I'm sure your parents would have, would have realised that and and helped. I'm sure yeah. I'm sure they, they know he's fine. He, this is just an exciting thing for him to know that someone's someone's here watching him. Yeah, definitely. Maybe maybe at the time, I can't remember the full details, but maybe it was a form of confidence for me. The fact that I'm yeah. playing with Livingston, I'm enjoying it. It's 20 minutes up the road, you know, and then, you know, when, when the more senior teams came in and watched me and Hibs, Hibs watched me for around about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we actually, because at that point, it's just friendlies, right? I mean, you're in pro yeah. youth. And one thing to, to kind of make clear about the pro youth system, you're playing for nothing. You don't play in a league. There's no league table. There's no cups to win. Yeah. You're co- You constantly feel like you're playing friendlies. So... There was never that competitive edge, and the, the ethos of pro youth was always we develop players, we do not develop teams. If yeah, one player it seems can so make backwards it backwards to me, because there's no where's there's no drive there, especially in a situation where where you're sort of saying you previously at BFC level, you're you're up for every corner, you're rolling the ball to your own feet. Imagine at pro youth level, you don't care whether you distribute the ball to the the centre attacking mid, the right wing. You just mm. want to make sure that your pass is good. You don't care who gets it, where it goes, what they end up doing with it. You just need to make your save. You need to make your play. And yep. you could do. Is that how you feel at, at that stage? Could you care less about how everyone not, else performs? You know, not not at that at that stage really. But back in the Livingston days, I can't say that I ever thought it was every man for himself back then mm-hmm. because you're too young. It's when I started to progressively get older and I went on to yep. play for for Hibs, which I'll just come on to. Then I went on to play for Falk. Is it that age where you're coming in under 15s, under 17s? And yeah. the team that I played, Falkirk, who I played for after Hibs, is at that point where you either stick at it for under 17s and at the end of it, it disbands. So there's no more pro youth. You either get released or you go pro. You get yeah. a contract with Falkirk. So at that point, it's very much dog eat dog. You are fighting for your place. I mean, they've only got so many contracts to give out. They can't give out six contracts to boys in the under 17 teams they've got that's, two that's maybe three at say, most how so how many people are in this squad would you say so in my livingston squad so so from just for any any club once once you get to the stage of you either get released or go pro how many boys are there in that setup do you think well there was three goalkeepers i'll tell you that there's right. three goalkeepers in the under 17 team there's probably around about 16 other boys so i would and say around about 19 many? topping out at 20 
how many of them think it is normal that they they keep on? Well, from the the crop that I was involved in, two got kept on. Two, that's, two got kept. Yeah, that's huge. That's so you've got potentially like fourteen, fifteen guys who are sixteen, seventeen. How is the conversation? I know we're we're skipping. We can we can come back a wee bit. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think that's a lot to deal with. Being told you're not you're not one of the two that made it. Yeah, I, th- I think I think by that point when I came to Falkirk, I was completely sickened with football. I was completely sickened with pro youth. Didn't enjoy it anymore. Um, I was at the stage where I was coming to my hires at school that I was thinking, what, yeah, you know, what, that's a, that's it, a really it was coming to the point age as well. Yeah, I was, you know, I'm, I'm coming to almost doing my hires. I'm surrounded by boys that have got a completely different mentality than me. I, my head was gone by that point when I was at Falkirk. I'd been in the pro youth system for the best part of five years at that point. Completely sickened with it. Didn't like the attitudes mm-hmm. of the boys. You had boys from all over Scotland. I'm a, if I'm going to be completely frank, I'm a posh boy from just outside Edinburgh. You've got guys from back into Glasgow. You've got guys from up yeah. north. They're all, tra- these guys are traveling three hours to training and three hours back. That's how much it meant to them. And I just, it came to the point where it, it was coming up for the time where you were going to be awarded a contract or not. And I just said, I'm out. I'm not doing it anymore. So you, I, you volunteered I, to... Well, yeah, I just said that yeah. I was leaving. Before this process even kicked off, they were having conversations with parents. Um, and I think I just made the conscious decision that I was doing my hires. I wanted to enjoy football again. I was not enjoying yeah. football at that point. Um, so I think you know, if, we, if we can come back, mm-hmm. say, a year from that, so mm-hmm. a year before your hires, so you've done... What did, what did you do at school? Was it intermediates? Um, I th- no, well, I did I did standard grades That's and then I grades, yeah. standard grades and then I did hires. Yeah, so I think so at that you, point I was just Hibs? about to do hires. Yeah, d- during my standard grades I was at Hibs. Um, and how how were you feeling there? How were you coping with with the balance there at that time? Didn't enjoy it at all. Really but didn't enjoy still, it. I was pl- That's really early on. To yeah. It's strange when I look back at my period playing football, there's like pockets of time where I loved it. Like Livingston, I loved it. When I went back to play boys club football, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Falkirk for a time, I loved it. And then I grew to resent it again. It's very strange how this happens. Don't ask me why. I guess for, it's just... Um, for anyone who doesn't know, so for the Better Thoughts campaign, it's actually surprisingly 46, 47% are, are, are American. So just to put this into perspective, so Robbie, at the age of what, 13? Your first time getting put in net? And you're still kind of twelve, out. 12, yeah, 12, 13, 12 yeah. years old. Robbie becomes a goalkeeper, basically, and solidifies that position. 14, 15, you're pro youth. Mm-hmm. You're playing at Hibs, and mm-hmm. you're sitting your first set of exams in school. Yep. So these aren't the big exams. These are the ones that sort of set you up for your next ones. These are a bit of an idea. I don't think these ones are important at all. I didn't think they were important at the time. I don't know what you would call these in America. Maybe middle school? Probably yeah, possibly. And then now, hires. These are big. So this sort of this sort of changes people because I come from a family where I was very much... You, I, I could have done whatever I wanted and my, my parents would have been happy with it. But I went to... The school that I went to when I was there at the time was consistently being voted like the top public school in Scotland. And there was very, very high expectations. So I was told from day one in school, basically, you stay and you do your hires and you go to university, which in America, you go to college. So did you have that same sort of thought process as well early in school? Were you always thinking, 
I need to make sure I get hires and I need to make sure that I go to uni? Or was there sort of a battle between I could come out and I could pursue football? I never wanted to be a footballer, mate. I really didn't. Yeah. I, I fell into it. I really didn't want to be a footballer. It, there, there were so many periods, especially when I was at Falkirk and at the time that I was doing my hires and I decided to take a step back. Yeah. That I thought I was I was really enjoying school. I mean, a lot of people's memories of school aren't great. I loved it. Like I really loved being in school. I loved choosing I my subject. Time, at the time, I would have said I hated it. Looking back, I loved it. Yeah. I think yeah, sixth I year, sixth year of high school, ups and downs, but fantastic year. Mm-hmm. That's last year. Last year. Last year before you go to college, university. Fantastic. Going on holiday with the lads, like amazing. Um, but yeah, so so you actually. This whole thing, you just fell into the possibility of becoming a professional footballer, essentially. Yeah, basically. basically at I mean, at I mean, a time it, as well, when your mind is forming, you know, you're in your adolescence, you're not sure who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. You're not sure how you think about things. Are you an anxious person? Are you not an anxious person? And at this time, you've got hires coming up. You've got, you know, you're in the pro use system, so you know. By the end of this year, you know, you have either A, passed all your hires and you're going to go to uni, B, mm-hmm. you failed your hires and now we need to do something about it, we need to reset, we need to go to college, we need to do something, mm-hmm. or C, there's a possibility of you being offered a contract here. Yeah. So yeah. Was all of this, because I, I know you, and I, I'm trying to sort of lead you into this, so I know you as on the outside, very, very confident and very um, articulate and personable. But I know that inside that there is an anxiety and that there is a, a struggle with that at, at times. Mm-hmm. Would you say this is where that started? Yeah, definitely. I would say that during my period at Falkirk, when I was just about to leave to take my hires, I think a large part of not enjoying it was not getting on with the group. That's a massive yeah. part of it, right? You could be the worst player in the team, but still absolutely love your time playing pro youth football because you get on with the guys. You're with these guys, oftentimes on par with how long you're with your friends. I mean, in yeah. terms of your friends at school, right? You may maybe have a couple of classes together. You see each other at lunchtime. I'm with these guys more than I'm with my friends. Monday, Wednesday, yeah. Friday, Sunday. I'm with these and guys. You're not necessarily friends with them. I wasn't. Yeah. I mean, and you, you know, especially when you come to that time where you're vying for contracts. I mean, these guys can be your friends one day, but I mean, single-mindedly, you're thinking about yourself. Yeah. And, and I guess that, that that's the way that football is, and it's never going to change from that. I mean, there's only you have to be the absolute cream of the crop to make it in football. And so I, I don't disagree with that part of it. I disagree with the ethos of pro youth and mm-hmm. actually telling these boys to their face, "Don't worry about him. Move him out the way. Yeah. We want you to get a contract." I mean, that is not in the spirit of creating teams. I mean, football is a team sport at the end of the day. And if you are ignoring the team aspect of it up until you become a professional and then you say you need to become a team now, it doesn't work yeah. like that. Exactly. You get yourself this, into habits. There's a massive you- divide there because if we if we circle back to the very beginning of this chat, the reason that you started playing football was the team aspect. Yeah. You're an yep. only child, right? Young mm-hmm. age. You need friends. How do you get friends when you're that young? You do something, you play a sport, you you go somewhere. So your dad and you, you get into football. Mm-hmm. You create these friend groups. You are loving the team aspect. You know, we're mm-hmm. all playing together. We're all good friends. Now you're told, no, you are an individual. You mm-hmm. must play to your absolute best. Don't worry about the next guy. Okay, so like a centre-back, for example, don't rely on your goalkeeper. Make the challenge. Don't think your goalkeeper is going to get get to the ball. 
you need to make the challenge. Don't worry about him. You get your contract. Mm-hmm. And then once you get the contract, you come into a dressing room where you're a young guy. So at this point, if say, for example, you had stayed on, you'd been offered that contract, you'd be 17, 18. Mm-hmm. And you're going to come into a dressing room with grown men who now want you to play as a team. But you've you've been told you're the one. Yeah. You're the you're the boy. Out of this big group that we had, we picked you. Because mm-hmm. you're the individual. But now you go into a situation where you need to be part of the team and you you need to also realise that you're on the low end of that team. Unless you're unless you're a big special, special talent, especially in Scotland, when you got offered that pro contract, you're not starting every game, you're not in like the first team, you're not, it's not as if you're, you've made it at that point, there's still a chance that you could not be a professional footballer. Yep. So is is that also playing in your mind? So I know that obviously you, you're being told, so basically what I'm wondering is when you're at this stage and you decide I'm going to come away from, from everything and I'm going to do my hires, were your coaches telling you good choice, you weren't going to make it? Or were your coaches telling you, no, forget about school, focus on this because you can you can get this? Which which was it? Not at that point. I don't remember those conversations happening, but I was certainly told during my football career that education is not important. I was told that in those words yeah. verbatim, education it's is not important. Horrible. That is that. That's when I went on to actually leave school and become a professional. I remember. So I know that we're jumping around, but I think it's a very kind of poignant point to make, especially when we're having this kind of conversation. So I was, when I was, I went full time at Hearts, left school, didn't. Yeah, so, you, so, so you've done. You've done your hires. How did you perform? How did you do? I got two A's, two B's, and a C. I think that is exactly what I got as well. Yeah, which is why we both ended up at the same uni. <laughs> <laughs> it tells you something, right? But yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty indifferent, right? Two A's, two B's, and a C. So it's kind of standard results. You're not. Would Would you say you tried exceedingly hard, or would you say you just were your average person? I think I tried. I I tried hard when it mattered, like a lot of people, right? I mean, if you're if if you're not trying during first, second, third, fourth year at high school, and you all of a sudden, you know, flip the light switch and try in fifth year, it doesn't exactly set you up for success. If you're yeah. passionate about something and you're good at something, you're going to get a good result if you try hard at it. I was very good at English. I was Same. very good at music. So I got Same. an A in music and English. There you go, mate. Yeah, we, so, we, we're very, very similar. Me and Robbie, I think, from from meeting in uni, we sort of immediately, well, actually, no, we didn't immediately click. Um, you decided to do your own thing for a year before you started becoming pals with all of us. But This is true. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, we are, very, we are very similar people, but... So I had the luck that I have an older brother. And when I started high school, I was in my first year of high school. And he was getting into his last year of high school. So you can imagine how perfect that was for me. Because yep. he had just done all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he basically told me, he was like, listen, first year, doesn't matter. First year, your main objective is basically be a normal guy. Make some friends. Have fun. just." Set yourself up socially and worry about everything later on. Because the worst thing that I think you can do, especially in Scotland, and this is a big thing about mental health, because this is the stage, first, second and third year, 13, 14, 15, is where, I don't know statistics, so I'll make one up, but it's around 80% plus of mental illnesses. This is where they begin and this is where they're formed in these early stages, 13, 14, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. 
if you're going to have trouble with mental illness, you're probably going to have it before the age of 16. And I think my oh, my brother obviously didn't, didn't know that, but he helped me with that because he told me at 13, 14, 15, set yourself up socially, get a good group of friends, try not to isolate yourself, make sure you've got people around you and, and you've got good friends. So did you, you're an only child. Mm-hmm. So did, was that a struggle for you? Like obviously, so if we talk about uni, so when you come into uni, first year of uni, you've just done your hires, good mm-hmm. results. They are good results for anyone that's mm-hmm. American. They're, they're good results. We joke mm-hmm. about the uni we go to just because it's a running joke where we're from, but um, good results. You, so did you, we're the same age. So you went this immediately to uni as well. No, so I, I left high school early to play football. And I played football when I should have been having my sixth year. So, so when I left... You in fifth year. You did my hires in fifth year. Left. Left school. Cool. Played so, professional so Robbie, football. Robbie could have stayed on school for another year, decided to come out and play football. So where, where did you go after your hires? So hires, I signed professionally for Hearts. So at that and point, was, I was this signing... This the first. This is professional football now. Yeah. So I essentially went, I went full time. So, I mean, went, went back to boys club for a year, loved it, loved the team aspect, loved being involved in cups, got my feeling yeah. back for football again, essentially. And I um, think the reason for that is just to make it clear for anyone that doesn't know, this is where the talking point is because boys club and pro youth is the two differences. Previously, when we've, when we've been talking about pro youth, this is where there's no, you don't win anything. You're there for yourself. Boys club, you're in a league, you're in a cup, you're all on a team, and it's all about the team. So I think this is this is the this is the point where Robbie now starts to, if you would agree, starts to think this is why I love football, this aspect. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I, the reason I took a step back was to do my hires and focus on my hires. So it's a pretty looking back at it, it's a pretty mature decision to make. Very, at 16. very mature decision. Very, very like, mature. Looking decision. back at it now, I mean, at the time, it just felt like something that made complete sense, but. Yeah. Looking back on it now, guided, like, what, what, what were your pay? I know obviously your your coaches. You'd been told specifically by coaches and, and in the footballing system, education is not important. What were your, what were your parents saying about it? I think I think they thought that it was a good move as well. I, I do. Th- I, I mean, I, I don't remember the exact conversations at the time, but my parents were never big on pressuring me into football. To be quite mm-hmm. honest, I mean, my dad played semi-professional football in Scotland, so junior in Scotland, semi-pro yeah. to any foreign listeners. Um, always was involved in football. Junior's fantastic. Jun- yeah, jun- exactly. I mean, jun- junior is like the heartbeat of Scottish football. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's really it's a working class sport where you pay three quid for a ticket, you go in, you get a pint after. Yeah. Um. So my, my dad was always involved in football, but I mean, he never really pressured me in that regard. So when I went back to boys club, I actually went back to a boys club called AC Ox Gangs in Edinburgh. The reason I went back there was because back in tractor when I was at Livingston, my dad got to know one of the dads and he'd always coached AC Ox gangs. Mm-hmm. So when Sam, a boy that I played football with, um, when he left Livingston, he went to this boys club. And so we had the ties right. there. So that's, that's who I went back to. Um, and I guess in the process of loving football, I mean, and anyone involved in sport knows that when it's such a cliche, but when you're enjoying, when you're enjoying a sport, you will perform much better. Yeah. If you're good at it exactly. and you enjoy it, that's the, that's the killer combination, right? That's the, yeah. that's the, the kind of chemistry that everybody's looking for, a sport that I'm good at and enjoy. Yeah. And I was doing both. So at that point, around about six months in, again, it's like Groundhog Day, the agents yeah. started to swirl. Um, but at this point, it's different. You know, it's not about going to pro youth any longer. This is about... This is the real, me, this is me, the real, real deal now. 
yeah, this is about me thinking I'm going back to boys club football. I'm doing my hires. I want to go to uni and study business, which I eventually did. This yeah. was always in my head. I want to go to university and study business. My dad's in business, yeah. um, massively interested in it. I wanted to take it at advanced hire. I think I've got a, a, a B in higher business, but I wanted to take advanced hire. Um, I think that's something that's important to mention at this point as well. Um, Robbie's dad, I don't know if, if you would want to synopse your own dad or if I'll do it, but dad, Robbie's dad's a very successful businessman, um, I would say. And that's why it was sort of a surprise to me that, you, you know, he gave you both of these influences. He gave you this great football influence where he started coaching you from a very young age and got involved in your boys club. But also you had this thought of, I want to do that as well. Matt, I've seen what my dad's done in both football and in business. Yeah. And, and, and that's why you, that's why you chose to do business. I chose to do business because it was the only subject really that I was really good at. I was good at English. I was good at business and I was good at music and I didn't want to, what, what do you do with an English degree? I don't know. Still don't know. <laughs> I'm good at sending emails. Yeah. That, Great. Oh yeah. So I, you know, I enjoyed English. I loved writing and that's why, that's why this article came out in the first place. I loved yeah. getting my thoughts and feelings on the page and that's exactly what I did. Um, and so, yeah, I benefited from both of those influences from my dad, I guess, and my mom. My mom was, was successful in business when she was younger until she had me. Um, so I, I had a kind of well-rounded household in that regard, a very balanced household. Yeah. And I feel for one point that I absolutely have to make, and it's one of the things that I've seen at every single level in football, and it's something that I mentioned in the article, I saw so many parents attempt to live their lives through their children this is, when this it comes is to huge. football. Yeah, definitely. I've, you know, so many dads that had told stories about I could have made it here I had a trial at Aston Villa I had a trial at Celtic never worked out injured money nonsense like and it always that, happens you always have these dads who well if their son's any good this is their chance because they weren't any good yeah it always happens it happens with all sports I played rugby so I had the same thing I I would say I, I was just naturally good at it I got into rugby because my friends all, all played it and when I was 14 they were like, you're like five times bigger than all of us. Why are you not playing rugby? So I, mm -hmm. I joined rugby because of that. And I did, I'd never watched the sport. I'd never played the sport. I'd never listened to the sport. To this day, I've been playing rugby now, well, on and off the last couple of years, but I played rugby from the age of 14 to the age of like 21. Mm -hmm. I still couldn't tell you the rules of rugby, mate. I still couldn't do it. I don't know. There's, there, there's, I need to, this is why I stopped playing because the level that I got to was when people start thinking about, I, I want to go somewhere. I want to do this. And, and a lot of my friends, we all came through the same club and I hit the same sort of thing that you hit. I got to 18 and for the first time ever, a coach told me, you're not starting on Saturday. On, on Saturday. Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I'm not, I'm not starting. Like, of course, I'm, I always start. What do you mean? And he was like, nah, you're not putting the effort in and training one of the other boys is and then I, I, I spat the dummy and stopped basically I stopped caring at that point yeah um I saw that as well you see my so my dad just always come to all my rugby games just because he liked it um, mm. and that was great because I loved having someone watch um especially mm. because I was good and when I liked it I was very good yeah we went undefeated one year um for all season that was the first year I played like scoring every game fantastic yep. um but some of the dads there were brutal it's, I mean, it's I'm hard. talking 15-year-olds would drop the ball and the dad's screaming their head off at them because of it. Yep. 
and you know it's because their dad never made it and they want the kid to make it. It's horrible to see, to be quite honest. And can you imagine if you're having difficult feelings about football like I was? I was very fortunate in the fact that my dad never put that kind of pressure on me. But can you imagine if you're a footballer, a young footballer in that atmosphere, when, like you say, all types of emotions, don't quite know who you are yet, don't quite know if you love football, and you've got this pressure because the coaches will put pressure on you during pro youth football. And you've also coming home to... It's not as if you're coming home to a sanctuary whereby you can kind of compound all these emotions. You're getting yeah. that same pressure, if not more, put on you at home. Plus, yeah, and they've got more questions. They've got yeah. how's school as well? How's this? How's that? And sometimes I think this is why I think our generation, as much as not everyone will admit it, I think everyone, anxiety isn't something that I think. So I'm very pro-diagnosis. Mm. I think that self-diagnosing is a problem. And mm. I'll get into this later in, in a different episode with an expert about it because I don't feel like I'm qualified to talk about it. But I'm very pro-diagnosis. But I don't think anxiety is something that needs to be diagnosed because I think everyone experiences it. And that it took me a while to realise this, that it's normal. It's normal mm. to feel anxious. So w- when you're at school and you're playing football, you're not sure if you love it or not. You're not sure if you've got a career in it or not. And you've mm. got these exams to sit and you want to go to uni, but you're being told by your coaches, no, forget that. You're being told by your parents, obviously, you know, education is important. You can pursue what you want, but it's important. And you've got these big clubs, professional clubs looking at you. Mm-hmm. This is a whirlwind of emotion in, in anyone's head. And I think this is where our generation, I think all of us experience anxiety in some way or another, because we, we were also the first generation to grow up with social media at this time. And this is something that I don't think you touch on in the article at all. Do you think this played anything into it? Do you think the birth of social media played anything into it? The fact that you are, we'll get to the point where we were in the conversation. You're now out of school playing professional football, which is huge, Mm -hmm. at Hearts, great club, big club in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. Do you think social media, like, are are you active on it? Are you being spoken about on it? If you, this sort of thing. So basically what I'm trying to get at is nowadays in pro youth football, I've got a family member that's really, really big into pro youth football and they tweet about it quite often. And I often think about these young boys. Were you, like, were you getting tweeted about? <laughs> basically like was social, was social media a problem for you coming up in life in general? Um... Perhaps not social media as such, but I remember, I mean, going back to, to Ox Gangs, I remember the match reports used to come out on a Sunday after we played on a Saturday. I used to mm-hmm. love reading them yeah. because I was enjoying football at the time. I was playing well. Yeah. You want to read you know, you want to read about when you play well, right? You know you've had a good game. You definitely want to read about it. Yeah. Of course. And I mean, you know, when I moved on to play for Hearts, I think that social media became a problem for me. It became a problem for two reasons. It became a problem because I had signed for Hearts at the time where they'd been went into administration. So Hearts had been relegated because they were in financial difficulty. They got docked points. They would have stayed up, but they ended up getting, you know, relegated to the championship. You've got to think about going to clubs with financial difficulties by the sounds of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) They've got no money to spend on a good player, so they bought me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's, that. so at at that point, and I guess to, to give you a kind of fuller view, my feeling is, and it still remains to be this way, that when you get relegated to the championship as a club like Hearts, and yeah. Hearts were, like it or not, a top club in Scotland. Yeah. They Hearts were, are a know, huge, huge club they, for anyone that doesn't know. Very, they, very they, big they club. Were, they were a very big club in Scotland. Massive fan base in the area of Edinburgh. You know, Edinburgh's the capital. Two teams in the capital, Hibs and Hearts. 
Um, we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of fans, which surprises people yeah, because right now they're, they're obviously not doing so well. They're back in the championship, funnily enough. They're both um, also known at this point. It's good to mention they're both, both clubs are also known for developing great young players. Hibs and yeah, Hibs. Yeah, some of the, some of the big, big players that, that you'll know of if you're in Scottish football. You'll know yep. that Hibs and Hearts produce fantastic players. Yep, definitely. And I so I so I came into Hearts at that time, coming from boys' club football. I mean, most of the guys that I played with had come through the academy at Hearts and had been given their first contract, or they'd yep. come from another club. It was very, very rare that you come from boys' club football straight into pro. Yep. Got to be really special. Um, that is a big jump. Yeah, mass a oh, massive jump. Yeah, I mean, I'm training. You know, one, you know, lit, literally one week. I'm at Tea in the Park with my friends, a music festival in Scotland. For those that don't know, and the next I'm in sitting down with Craig Levine, ex-Scotland manager, who was director of football at Hearts at the time, talking about my contract. It's, it's worlds Crazy. apart. I was, I was not mentally prepared for that. I mean, at, at the start, yeah. when you go through, you know, wh- wh- when I was at that age, I thought that I was, you know, I was fully grown. I'd played, I'd come off the back of a fantastic season at Ox Gangs, got Players Player of the Year, got mm-hmm. pl- um, Parents Player of the Year, loving football. For, for some reason, I remember making my speech at that award ceremony and saying, I'm leaving Ox Gangs, I'm going to explore my options. And at that point, looking yeah. back on it now, I'm thinking, I must have been thinking that I wanted to play football. Yeah, you must have thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and I'm going to go somewhere now. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess that, you know, when you've got an agent telling you how good you are for six months, yeah. I was gonna say, your family think, on board. Do you think you were maybe putting that on? Do you think you were trying to say that as a way to cope with yourself? Just I, to tell I, yourself, this is okay, you're, you're okay, you are going somewhere with this. You know what, mate? I would. I, I think I believed it. To be honest, I yeah. think that I believed it. You know, when when an agent gets close to your family, and I have nothing bad to say about my agent, he believed in my ability. I'm not saying yeah. that he got close to my family and manipulated me them into. Yeah, I think that's a big know, topic as well. That does happen, but in your course. case, not at all. You no, know, ex- exploiting young footballers and their families. It happens all the time, especially if they've got talent. So I don't think that happened. I think that I really did want to go and, and play for Hearts. And that's what I did. So I was at Teen the Park in the summertime. <laughs> first ever Teen the Park with my friends. This is a you know, wild cu- festival, by the way. This festival now doesn't exist. Because yeah. Because it was so wild. Cu- you know, coming home, literally showering, getting the face paint off my face and then putting a kit on and going to training. That's almost what it was like. I'm exa- you know, I'm exaggerating yeah. a little bit, but that's I essentially know, what it was. I know this photo from your Facebook of when you were at Teen the Park. <laughs> Teen the Park. I can picture it in my head. Because <laughs> it was like your profile picture at uni or something like that at the time. I yes, yeah. Oh, I've so, got the I've got the paint coming down here and going. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's so the you one. went from that. Was it the next day or what? Uh, it was. Craig Levine? It was on. It was on the Tuesday. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. I, I came home on the Sunday, I believe, or the Monday. You know what? I actually came home on the Monday, and it was the Wednesday that I went in. So I'd, I'd trained before yeah. to kind of before I'd signed any contract. I went yeah, into train to trial. That. I was on a trial yeah. period. Um. I think I'd actually said to the Hearts hierarchy that I was going away with my family is because I, th- I think I knew I was signing at yeah. that point. I think I said that I was going away with my family as one final holiday because you need to remember when you're a footballer, you get no holidays. You got two weeks yeah. in the summer. That's it. You're full not doing time. anything. Full yeah, full you're, you're, you're yeah, you know, full time in the purest sense. You know, you get two weeks yeah. off of solidarity per year, and that's you. You've got an active season. You need to play. You need yeah. to train. This is what so, I was going to ask about, and, and we can sort of when you're talking, uh, what are the terms? What are the terms of a professional contract? What, what does that look like for a footballer, especially so, at that age? So so at that age, I, I believe it was a, it was a two year deal that I signed. It was it wasn't great money at all. It really wasn't. I can't remember the exact figures, but we're talking like it's less not a full-time than time wage. You're talking like less than a thousand pound per month is what you're talking. Yeah. Basically, this is, I'm this loving is a, this is a job where because it is a job. Like you know, this is a job where 
you probably also need the job, but you don't have time for it. It's that yeah. kind of level at this stage. Yeah. And this is, this is why it's difficult. It's very difficult in Scotland to make it because you need to survive this period where you're not getting paid a living mm. what you're expected to live. And I think this is I think this is a quote directly from your post on LinkedIn. It was either yourself or your dad that said it, but this links into the whole thing about going to the festival, then going into Hearts like two days later, training, getting the contract. You're full time, you know, you're playing at the weekend or midweek. And it's not as if like you just go out with your pals on a Wednesday. You're in, you're training, then you're home and then you're working on stuff and then you're playing. Yep. Yep. And I think the quote is that you were a you were a boy trying to play a man's game at this point. Yeah, definitely. Wasn't mentally prepared for it. We're in six days a week. We had one day off, which was a Sunday, um, because we actually played in the development league in the under twenties league on a Monday yeah. night. So we trained six times a week, and we went to watch the first team game on a Saturday. We had to go fully kitted out with our hearts gear on. So. Yeah. There was no time for social interaction with friends, really. I mean, my friends were still at school at this point. You know, my friends are in yeah. sixth year. And anybody that knows anything about sixth year is that you're more or less socializing. Yeah. And then you have maybe three or four classes in between. Maybe two or three. Maybe not as many as that. Yeah. To, to, um, give, a, to give a quick idea in terms of sixth year, what? Because I, I stayed on and done sixth year. I had already secured my place at uni prior mm. to that. So I had already gotten into Glasgow Caledonian University to do business. And that was all fine. I think I needed I needed one A in sixth year. They told me I need I needed one A basically. So it was all all but done. And when you get into sixth year, this is, you can basically pick what you like. So I yep. did I did so up until this point I'd been doing like English, maths, science, business, French, mm-hmm. all the real like sub real subject, right? And I, yep. I was, have a lot of respect for the arts. In school, I was told these are the real subject, right? Yep. In sixth year, I chose music, sports leadership, which was like refereeing football. That was a mm-hmm. that was a higher subject that, that I did, and um, nice. I got a grade for. Um, so I've got like a I think I can coach like under thirteens football or something apparently. Um, so I did the music, I did sports leadership, I did photography, which again was a higher subject. So this has the same weighting as higher English, whereby you're writing essays and everything. So I knew I needed an A, and in my head, I was like, I'm going to pick what I think are easy subjects and what I think I'll enjoy. So while Robbie is training six days a week, not getting paid enough, basically, for it, Mm. having to live this adult life, Everyone around him, including myself, are doing these things. So I'm doing photography, I'm doing sports leadership, I'm doing music. I'm going to house parties every weekend, drinking with my pals, doing this, doing that. Robbie doesn't Robbie doesn't do that because Robbie can't do that. Do you think that had an impact on you at all? Because I think sixth year is what, if I didn't have my experience that I had in sixth year, I don't think I would be the person I am now. I think that, that period shapes people because this is the period where you, go from 17 to 18. I was mm-hmm. still 17 when I went to uni, so I was a wee bit younger. I turned 18 at uni. So I was 17 in sixth year, and that, it's a massive formative year. Mm. So how would you say that shaped you, missing out, if we call it missing out? Because you weren't missing out, really. You're your professional footballer, which is huge. But what, what do you think about that, the difference between living that life versus living, like, for example, the life that I had? Um... 
I, th- I think my my period doing that while my friends were still at school certainly shaped me. Yeah. Um, you can talk about shaping me for better or for worse, but it certainly made me grow up and grow up quickly, yeah. or perhaps not grow up because I, re- I I think I rebelled to a certain degree because you know I did miss my friends. I wasn't enjoying football. I remember actually thinking one day when I was on the way to training, I used to get I used to get a train from Linlithgow to Edinburgh Park. Uh, during rush hour, we started at nine o'clock. Yeah. The young boys got in at nine. The first team got in at ten. From nine till ten, we were cleaning boots. We were setting up the kit. We were doing our jobs around about the gym, cleaning the gym, all that kind of stuff. That's part of the apprenticeship, I guess, of yeah. Scottish football or of football in general. You need to earn your keep. You, you, need you, to, do, yeah. you need to earn your place in the team. Yeah, essentially. Well, you need to you need to just earn the right to be there. Essentially, is the way that it was explained to me. Yeah, and I remember. Funnily enough, I remember, and it's something that I cite in the article. I remember looking back on it now. I couldn't disagree with it more. So I used to go into the boot room every day and take out the goalkeeper's boots and clean them before training. I used to clean them before training, clean them after the first session in the morning, then clean them after the second. So I was cleaning boots like three or four times a day. Yeah. So that was that was pretty much a kind of cornerstone of being a, an apprentice in football. And, who's, um, whose boots are you cleaning at this I'm point? Cl- Do you remember? Uh, Neil Alexander. Right. Okay. Who, who was the who played in the UEFA Cup final for Rangers? Yeah, um, he's a big big player. Um, yeah, he was. He was. He was a big player. Played for Crystal Palace. Um, played for. He came through at Livingston. Funnily enough, played for Crystal Palace. Played for Hearts. Played for Rangers. Um, Jack Hamilton, who's now the Dundee goalkeeper. Right. Um, and Scott Gallagher, who was who was kind of brought in his backup. He was at Rangers previously. And I remember, so I used to go and get their boots every morning. And so there was a laminated piece of paper with the Hearts logo on it. And I had a quote, and it's something that I write about in the article. It says, football doesn't give you character. It finds out if you've got it. Yeah. So when I, when I left Hearts, statement. it's a massive statement, especially for young boys that are seeing that kind of thing. So I remember when I left Hearts, looking back on that statement, and for some reason it stuck because I saw it every single day. It was rudimentary. It was like routine. Yeah. I passed it every single day and I read it. I remember thinking that, when I when I left Hearts, even though at the time that I left, um, I was delighted to leave. I was delighted to get out. I didn't even mm-hmm. go back in. Mm-hmm. I I was under I was under contract still. But my dad wrote to Craig Levine and said, "Listen, Robbie's taking some time." Craig said, "Yeah, absolutely fine. You don't need to come back in for the time being." I never saw my teammates again. Yeah. I just why, left. So why why did you why did that happen? What how did you get to how did you get to that? Um, I I remember sitting down with my under twenties coach Jack Ross, who's now manager of Hibs. I know um, big name. Yep. Uh, and the manager, Robbie Nielsen, who's now back at Hearts as manager. Um, and Stevie Crawford, who's manager of Dunfermline now. He was Robbie Nielsen's assistant. And I remember them saying that, Robbie, listen, you've not progressed as we would like. Mm-hmm. Um, you're more than welcome to stay for the duration of your contract. Um, you're not going to play. Or you can go and find another club. Right. And I knew at that point I was never playing football again. Never. So they, they essentially told you it's not, it's yep. not worked out. It's not worked out. Um, you, weren't, you weren't getting released at this point. They had said, it's a really weird conversation. I can imagine you how you battled with this in your head. They're telling you, yeah, you can stay, you can hang about, you can clean the boots and everything, but you're not going to play football here. Yeah. Well, I'm under contract. It's not, it's not yeah. pro-youth football anymore. You know, I have a legally binding contract to stay at Hearts yeah. until 18 months later. So I remember having that conversation. As soon as that was said, I knew that I was never playing football again. I was delighted. I, I, you know, I make no bones about it. I was absolutely delighted. And I must say that Hearts paid me mm-hmm. in a lump sum half of what my contract value was for the remaining 18 months. So they, yeah. they treated me with absolute grace throughout that Which process. Is a very, very, I don't imagine that's common. No. That's a very good thing that they've done it, there. It definitely was. And I remember my dad went to meet Craig Levine for a coffee to talk about me. 
um, after being released because my dad, you got to remember that my parents, I, I feel for my parents because I'm bringing home this attitude to them every single night after not enjoying playing football. Yeah. I must have been an absolute it's nightmare because I'm living at home right. at the time. And so my dad kind of wanted to do a, a kind of, you know, a post-mortem on where it went wrong, you know, what Robbie was really like in training because my dad yeah. only got what I told him and I told him that I was enjoying it when I wasn't. He's, get, he's getting one side of it. You're you're coming home and I think we need to touch on this point where you where you just said you're telling him you're enjoying it. Yeah. So when you got offered, you're at Ops Gangs, right? And you get mm-hmm. all these awards and you go up and make this speech and you talk about how you're going to go and progress and you believe it at this point and you go to yep. Hearts. Massive opportunity. Yep. Up until the conversation, see if that conversation had gone Robbie, you're progressing really, really well, and we want to move you up quicker. Yeah. We want you to get more game time. Mm-hmm. Would you have been enjoying it? Do you think? Do you think they're linked, or do you think you were so glad that they'd said that that it was a relief at that point? I I was incredibly glad that I mean when I was when I was that age, I wasn't as bold as I am now. I'm mm-hmm. the most direct exteriorly. Yeah. Cause, cause I, this, I am is how, a, this is how I know you. Yeah, I mean, I am a I am a confident person. I make no bones about it. I have I have my issues with with ang- with being anxious and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, fundamentally, I am a confident person. I would never accept what I accepted then now. But yeah. what happened was, I remember going to training one day and thinking, "Is this what I'm really going to do for the rest of my life?" And that's a, that's a massive thing to think. You yeah. know, when I thought I was going to be in football until I'm 35, 36, retiring, and then trying to go on and do other things. If I look ahead and I'm like, "Is this going to be the t- next 20 years of my life?" That's a very very difficult thought to have. So Especially when at that age, I mean, I'm. I'm 23 and I have that thought every day. Am I going to do this for the next however long period? I've not, this is something that's been a personal battle for me. I'm sure, well, I say I'm sure you might not agree. Um, I, I had a very, very harsh realization that what I thought I'd be doing for the rest of my life, I wasn't going to be doing. And um, I guess, are you, are you okay revealing where you work? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I work. Okay, so, I work for a company called Hewlett Packard Enterprise, um, an American IT company. Essentially, the office is so, in Glasgow. Huge, 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 huge American IT company. While we were at university, I worked there. Um, we had basically let's skip forward a wee bit. Basically, so if we sort of fast forward this, we can come back. So Robbie has been told, "You're not progressing. You're free to go, and you're, you're happy about it." Is that when you decide, right? It's uni time now. Um, what do you, what do you do at this period? Yeah, I, well, I it was, it was funny the way that it happened. So this happened in the January. So I've I've left. I scrambled around because I knew that to get into university that year, bearing in mind that I only had grades from my fifth year at high school, I didn't yeah. stay until six years. So I had these I had these two A's, two A's and a C. That's all I had. Yeah. So I remember at that point it was January. The cutoff time was the 21st of January for applying for university that year. I had to get a personal yeah. statement together. I had to write my application. I had to apply for what subject I was going to study. References so, and everything as well. References, yeah. I mean, that whole package of things, that's not something you can just do overnight. So I had yeah. a finite time to get all this stuff together. Applied to various universities, Edinburgh, Aberdeen, and Glasgow Cali, and I got into Cali. Yeah. Um, but at that point, it was such a massive relief. I was like a different person. Yes, mm-hmm. there were still issues that I had to deal with off the back of playing football because you can't just be this character playing football and having this anger and frustration that I'm going to be doing this all my life. Then it switches back on and I'm back to being Robbie again. Yeah. I, my parents still it's suffered just, after it's a that tough point. Period because I can imagine your family life is going to be tough there because you, 
this is a whirlwind. Your your life is completely changed. Mm-hmm. And as you're saying, you're telling your parents it's all fine when it's not. Yep. yep. And I told I, I remember having phone calls with my agent who would phone me maybe once a week. How's it going? Um, I was just because because my family were so invested with his agent and he had so much faith yeah. and hope for me. It was a massive thing in my own mind to tell him that I didn't want to do this anymore. I remember actually leaving Hearts. Mm-hmm. My agent still had this thought that you can still go somewhere. He phoned me yeah. when I was at the KFC in Edinburgh, at the Edinburgh Park mm-hmm. roundabout. I was just about to get the train home. And he said, yeah. I've got you a trial at Blackburn Rovers. They want you to go down for a week. You'll live there for a week. You'll train and then they'll decide whether they want to keep you on or not. Well, I just say that you're going to go down. And I said, no, no, no. I need to, I need to speak to my parents. Yeah, me saying I need to speak to my parents was I need to that, tell my parents that I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, that basically means I need to tell them I've been lying about this yeah. and that I actually hate football and I don't want to do it because anyone that doesn't the Blackburn Rovers that would have been a that would have been a big step. Massively, that's a Massively. very 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 big progression, which yeah. is why I feel like there's a disconnect. I feel like you must have had it. You must be very very talented, and I, I feel like. When when the hearts coaches have said you're not progressing, you have to have been performing because for 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 Blackburn to get to offer you a spot, that's big. Blackburn an English club, and that would have been a very 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 big progressionary step, and that could have brought you on to to other huge things. So where where do you think it was? Do you think do you now do you believe you had the talent? To, to go there and do that if you were there mentally? I don't think we'll ever know, to be quite honest. I think yeah. that l- looking at the goalkeeper that was at AC Ox Gangs and the goalkeeper that was at Hearts, even though these are like six months apart, it was a different player. Yeah, It really was. It was a different goalkeeper. I was doing things at Ox Gangs that I never did at Hearts. I was making mistakes at Hearts that I never would have done at Ox Gangs. And you think that's um, just down to the pressure? Well, pressure. The level level not enjoying it not getting on with the guys not wanting to be a footballer that that you know once yeah. that champagne period you know in the first month or two at hearts i loved it press releases yeah you know you've been offered a contract um there, there's a really good feeling about that especially when you come off the back of playing football and enjoying it into that yeah. it slowly but surely eroded my confidence in myself and it slowly but surely eroded my love for the game and by the time that i left in the january i was just so ready to leave it was incredible it was it, you know try, trying to comp- that that mm. I actually felt this way when six months prior I was on top of the world. Yeah, it's but that's, it feels, that's it feels what, like that the world is is crashing. Yeah, it's, you it's don't know ruth- why. It's a ruthless game. It really yeah. is a ruthless game. And to go back, I mean, I, I never actually told you what that. No, I guess that no, I, I did tell you what the sign said. But I, I think that you know that that sign that I passed every day. Mm-hmm. You know, football doesn't give you character. It finds out if you've got it. That's just about as incorrect a statement as you can pen down. I was going to say if that if if yeah. that me, if that means that if I failed in football, if I didn't have the character for football, if I was playing football and it didn't, it found out that I didn't have character. Why does that explain how I am now? Yeah, exactly. I think that makes no sense. that's that sets a very very dangerous precedent for young players reading that. That yeah. fall out of the football pyramid and they've read that sign and it says football finds out if you've got character it doesn't give you that's, it. That basically These young... tells you if you've not made it you're not going to make you it. Don't have character. Anywhere. You're not doing anything. Yeah, you don't you have character. Do yeah, that's what it, that's what it says to you directly. If you do, you know football finds out if you've got if I, football finds out if you've got character doesn't give you it. Football absolutely fundamentally gave me character. That whole experience, that whirlwind six months playing pro football, is absolutely fundamental into what I went on to do at university. 
moving abroad to America, then going traveling in South America, all these things yeah. I would never have done without the very rough experience of playing professional football. I have no doubts about that. And and this is so what, what I want to, to now move on to is basically, so we, we found out then that statement is wildly incorrect because you are the person you are today because football gave you that character. Because football built you to be that person. And the reason I brought up work and things like that, so Robbie's at Hewlett Packard Enterprise right now. While we were at university, we were given the option. Now, was it was it third year? It was third year, yeah. We were given the option in our third year. So it was four years of university. We were given an option in our third year. You can either stay at uni or you can go and get an internship, basically. You can go and work somewhere. And it was a chance to, to get a full-time real-life job. And this is, so me personally, I'm, I'm not confident at all. I'm not a very confident person. I don't believe that I can do things. But at the same time, I do. So it's a very weird battle that I have with myself. So when I apply for jobs, I always think I'm not going to get it because I'm not good enough. And I, I always think I can't do that job. Mm-hmm. So internship time comes, and I'm thinking... I'm not staying at uni. I'm getting a wage. I'm getting a full-time wage. I'm getting money, 100%. Now, there was also an option to go abroad. There were placements abroad, and we'll touch on this in a wee second because that's the route that Robbie went down. I didn't have the character to do that. Um, I don't think... I still don't think... I don't think I ever will. It's not for me, that, that type of thing. But I decided to apply for one placement and one placement only. Because I had to force myself to believe in myself. Mm-hmm. People applied for lots and lots and lots of places. Like, how many did you? Did you only apply to go to Boston? I only. Well, I, there was three roles in Boston. I applied for all three. So I was you, dead set on going to Boston. Yeah. So Robbie had made the decision he was going to Boston, Massachusetts, America to do his placement. I know of people in, in, our, in our class that applied for 10, 15, 20 placements. I applied for one because. I had to tell myself, if you need to believe in yourself, you need to go and get this. So I went, and despite not believing myself, I've never had an interview that I've not gotten the job from in my life, ever. I've 100% success rate in interviews. But I always go into an interview thinking you're not good enough. So it's a weird, weird thing. But I ended up going to Hewlett Packard Enterprise for my placement, which is where Robbie works just now. And the reason that I bring this up is when I was saying about Robbie's like 18 years old, 17 years old, and he's thinking, is this what I want to do for the next 20 years of my life, football? Am I going to do this every day for the next 20, 30 years? Can I do this every day? The job that I took at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, at the time, I thought I wanted to do for the rest of my life. That was my dream job. I wanted to work in IT, and I wanted to work in sort of operations, supply chain in IT, and that's the exact job that I got. I got Business operations analyst at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, huge American IT company. Which, if you look at it from the outside in, that is a massive opportunity for me to grasp the opp- the, the opportunity that I've been looking for, what I want for the rest of my life. And I had a champagne period as well, and that, and I, I would say that that is when. What year was that? That's twenty sixteen, around around about twenty sixteen. That is when I started to personally struggle a lot more 
and I say a lot more. I struggled all my life with my mental health, especially in school. But it started to affect things like work and Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And, and I've got nothing against the company. The company's a fantastic company, as obviously you'll agree. Fantastic people, fantastic opportunities. It just wasn't for me. Um, and I, this is when I first started to know what a panic attack was. I'd had them before in school, but I didn't know what it was. But now every day I was going into my, the office and every single morning I would be asked, how is this coming along? How is this project doing? And I would have a panic attack every day, every single day. So I was, that was the first time I ever got given, I wasn't given a diagnosis at the time, which I thought was weird. I was given the medication for anxiety, but I wasn't given a diagnosis of anxiety, which is a weird one. I was also offered an antidepressant without a diagnosis of depression which I declined at the time um, because I, I'd, I'd done my research on it and I didn't agree at that time with the effect that it would have on my body, basically. As a friend that doesn't know, I'm at this point, what are we, are we 20? 20 years old? Um, yes, so I went to Boston when I was 20. I turned 21 when I was there, yeah. yeah. So, so that means, yeah, so I'm 20 years old. So I'm in my, my peak of like hormonal growth, basically. Um, anyone that doesn't know a symptom or side effect of taking antidepressants is like to, for a man is like hormonal shutdown and it's big it's a big big problem um, so at the time I, I refused it for that reason that reason alone I thought I'm not going to be able to function the way that I need to and I'm not going to grow and develop in the way that I need to if I, if I take this so didn't do it but I had that thought in my head at that time is this what I want to do for the next 20 years of my life and during the interview, I would have said, yes, 100%. I love this. This is great. Coming into work every day with a suit on and putting on this performance of, because I have, I have a lot of personas and anyone that knows me will know this because you know me from uni and you know me, how I act in uni, out of uni, in class, out of class. When it comes to doing things like a presentation, for example, or an interview, or this podcast, I'm a very, very different person and I've got a very different persona that I'm able to switch and put on. And a lot of people think, and this is a similar thing that I would say with you, Robbie, that, that I thought about you. A lot of people think that that means you're this great, confident, mentally stable person. What I think it means, actually, is that you've had a lot of tough times in your life and you've learned how to put this on. And I think you got that from football. And I think I got that from uni and that work placement, essentially. Mm -hmm. So moving on from that, that big, big tangent. But what I'm trying to say with that basically is, so football, you've now turned down the opportunity, essentially, to be a professional footballer at Blackburn Rovers, right? And you've gone to university. That's a huge decision to make. So. First question, before we move on to things like Boston and your uni life and how you're doing just now, do you regret that decision at all? No, it was the best decision I ever made. I'll always look back at that as the yeah. best decision I ever made. It was the first time that I ever chose something with my head and my heart concurrently. Mm. Yeah. I chose to play football with my heart, not my head. I chose to take a step back and go to university. And it felt almost like redemption, to be quite honest with you. This is something that yeah. when I was at Ox Gangs playing boys club football, this is something that I wanted to do. I wanted to go to university and study business. Mm -hmm. So to come full circle 
and have the benefit of going through that experience at Hearts. I call it what an experience, experience because there's yeah. there's nothing else I can call it really. It wasn't a career. Was, I guess it was a career. It was half still, a career. Still, I'm still. I would. So that the title of your LinkedIn article is. Double check why I retired from football at 17. Yeah, I would personally change it to why I retired from professional football at. And what were you 17 still at Hearts when you decided? Seven, yeah, 17 when I left. I yeah. would add the I'd word professional. I would put professional because you were a professional footballer and you had the opportunity to be a bigger professional footballer. So personally, I think that's the thing within you. That it, it all comes back to the self-esteem and mental health conversation. Mm. I think one big thing for you to learn from that experience is that you actively chose to pursue your dream of going to university and studying business as opposed to the opportunity that you had of pursuing professional football, yep. which is a big thing to deal with, especially at that age. But So, so you make that decision, you go to university, mm. um, which, as you say, is a full-circle decision. It's the first mm. time that you've went heart and head into something because you know that that's what you want to do. Yep. How are you at uni? How are you dealing with things at uni? How's your friend group? How does your friend group change the first couple of years? Just talk to me in general about about your uni experience. Okay. So I think that within university, there was was different, different years and different characters, I guess you could call it. I mean, in first year, it was... It was a case of moving away for the first time. You know, I'd had the kind of monotony of, of training at football, a very regimented life um, of training six times a week, living at home with my parents and to kind of come out of that. And I guess between the period where I left football, I worked part time with my dad for three days a week. Mm-hmm. So I always had some kind of discipline. So I, I used to I went back to AC Ox Gangs, the boys club that I was with, um, went back to them for six months, um, really enjoyed it again, got to know the guys again. But I was training. Th- I was training twice a week then I was. I was working with my dad three days a week, so it was kind of I always had some kind of structure. It's a similar, in my life. similar routine, just not as much, not as extreme. Yeah, exactly. So I guess when you go to university, the main thing that you lose is the infrastructure around you. You don't yeah, have, you have, you have classes, but I think that everybody knows in the first couple of years at university, the classes yeah. are optional. Let's say, especially yeah. in the first year. So in your I, first year, I university- done one of my subjects in sixth year was advanced higher business, which basically yep. is first year of university business and that's why i done it so that i could not do any, do any work <laughs> in first year yeah. of uni because yeah. again my brother was older than me and he had he had just finished uni and again mm. he told me you don't need to try until fourth year <laughs> so mm. that was the that was the thing that i had in my mind first year was about social life yeah absolutely and that's that's you know that's the way that it was for me i mean didn't spend a whole lot of time in university i pr'd for a nightclub yeah. Um. I, I just came to Glasgow for the first time. Never really spent any time in Glasgow before. Moved out for the first time. Yeah. Because we never challenged. We, we never saw you much in first year. Yeah. I, because it was. I think the only exchanges we had in first year was in class. I can't even remember much of first year to be honest with you. Yeah. I asked you for uh, free entry at garage quite a lot. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that. Um. <laughs> aside from that, I, I don't think. I don't remember much from first year. A lot, a lot happened in first year for me. Um, stuff that people know. Um, some things that I'll, I'll go into in different episodes. Some things that I'm not going to go into ever. I don't think. Um, first year university was huge for me. Um, and so I, I also not only did I meet Robbie 
and a lot of my current friend group at uni. I met my current girlfriend at uni as well. Um, so uni was huge for me, um, mm-hmm. especially in first year. I think it's a very formative time because you can change. And you're saying like a lot of characters. Do you mean within yourself or around you? Or because I completely changed who I was going from high school to uni. I don't know if you were similar. Would you say? I don't think I changed who I was. I think I certainly developed from first year into second year. I think that when you come out of an experience like football and you're given a free reign to live by yourself, do what you want, away from parents, away from the routine and infrastructure that you once had, I think that I was definitely, I was definitely, um, I don't know what the correct word for it is, but I was definitely unmanageable at that point. Mm-hmm. I was, I was wild. Yeah. I was. Because you're allowed I to be d- at that stage. There's no structure for just to this in perspective in america i believe if you go to college you have to go like you have to go to the classes and first year of uni you didn't really have to go like you didn't have to turn up no one cared really yep. so you sort of had free reign to do whatever you wanted yep yeah essentially that's that's the way it was and it's you know I, I worked at a university in boston when i went away for my placement year and it is very much a you know it's fee paying for university we were lucky enough to be born in scotland go to a university in yeah. scotland so there's no fees that you pay you essentially can come out of university unless you take out a student loan without debt theoretically yeah. um in america it's a completely different ball game i mean in terms of tuition Absolutely. housing classes books, all that kind of stuff it's a like massive that. expense yeah. yeah so i mean it, it was very different for us at university so i think in first year it was a case of i had to get that out of my system basically yeah. i had to get that year of pring for a nightclub going i mean i, I worked i worked for five pound 30 an hour which from 10 till half past 12 four times a week yeah. so maybe monday wednesday thursday and every day well every saturday evening that's when i worked yeah. and so that is an unmanageable lifestyle you can do that for a certain amount of time there was people that i i yeah. met that pr'd and worked in the bar i could never live the life that they live i'm a very much a creature of routine so once i got that out of my system i knew that i would never do it again so I yeah. did Freshers Week, for those who don't know, that's like the massive kickoff week for new students coming to university, um, giving them that university buzz and feeling. I did that in the September. I worked right the way through until the next Freshers. I wanted to do the next again Freshers the next year, and then I left. I said, I can't do this anymore. I need to have routine back in my life. Yeah. And so for my second year at university, that's when I really started to up my game because I knew that this third year was coming. I knew that we were going to be working away. I was always, I mean, part of the reason that... So you'd made that decision that early on as well. You'd, you'd thought about all Oh, that. yeah. Yeah, part of the reason why I chose the course was this industrial placement year. Um, I, I had no I'm, idea. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, found out, I, I found out in third year that we would do something in third year. I, I, had no, I had no idea. I didn't think about that at the time. Um, I spent my first year of uni... I didn't work. I took the student loan option. So I was paid every month like 500 quid student loan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have student debt, but not anywhere near what an American student would have. And I basically, I joined the university rugby team because I'm still loving rugby at this point, still playing. Mm-hmm. I'd fallen out of club a wee bit at this point because now I was an adult and I was having to play my whole life. I was never good. I don't think I was ever good at it. I'm self-esteem issue again I'm very good at it um, but I always had a size advantage younger so when I became yeah. an adult everyone is as good and as big as me so I, yeah. I wasn't as good basically but so I joined the uni rugby team because at the time Callie had like never won a season um, yeah. rugby wise for years and years and years and it was all about social so yeah. I thought I'll, I'll do that. So my first year of uni was also very unmanageable. I didn't work, didn't go to any classes, 
and spent my student loan money going to Bamboo, which is a popular nightclub. Every night it was open with the rugby team. Uh, we played on a Wednesday and then all day and night Wednesday you'd be drinking. Um, and because you're a fresher, similar to what Robbie experienced at Hearts, you've got all these things that you need to do. So I, before a game, I was drinking because I was a fresher and that was my job. I had to have a few drinks before the game, play, and then go out after and things like that. I think they call it hazing. It's like hazing experience in America. Yeah, it's like an Ours induction. Is much, it's like, much yeah. tamer in, in uni. But, so, so, so how would you say that changed? So obviously, if we then come into second, third, fourth year, you come out of your shell a lot more in second year, I would say. Yeah. Um, is that just, why, why was that? What, what, what changed? What happened? I think it's just getting used to your surroundings. I mean, I've gone through by this point, I'm, you know, coming into third year when we go away for our industrial placement year, I was lucky enough to be offered the job in Boston. You know, I've, I've gone through three years of chopping and changing how my lifestyle is. You know, I've gone yeah. from training every single day, being supremely fit to then putting on weight in first year, PRing at yeah. night, staying out until 15, as they call it. Everyone. Yeah, exactly. You go to uni. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's, you know, partying for most of the week, essentially putting on weight, having an unsustainable lifestyle to then having the break in the summertime. I think I've realized something must change. If I'm going to yeah. get anything out of this university career, I can have that one year. It's done. It's put behind me. It's in my rear view mirror now. I need to go on and change something. So I got a job with my dad again. I mm-hmm. was back working three days a week or maybe two days a week, I think. Um, and it's at that point that you're really, I think you're, you're doing your subjects concurrently with essentially applying for jobs for this industrial placement scheme. Yeah. So the second six months is all about you know, putting on the best version of yourself, doing interviews. We were off. We were offered a plethora of very highly rated companies when we were at uni lots in terms of who we could apply for. Some fantastic opportunity. Yep, yep, absolutely. So I guess that it's just maturity more than anything else. And then going back to having a routine, um, moving to Boston, which was a massive, massive step for me. Um, I'm always someone that constantly tries to test myself. You know, yeah, I definitely. can I move to Boston? Can I survive on my own? got over there in Boston, one of the most famous cities in the world. I'm going to run the Boston Marathon, you know, apply for that, raise money for the charity that I'm running for. It's just, I think when you've got that kind of internal struggle within yourself, you're always testing the limits. You're always seeing what you can cope with. And that's the way that I always have been and always will be. I'm always putting myself in situations that I wouldn't feel comfortable in. I mean, my life is not comfortable. My life is a succession of these choices. You know, whether it's making a call at work, you know, whether it's, it's just always... And I think you definitely do see the benefit of it. I mean, the experience in Boston was massive for me. I mean, taking that step at 20 years old, you know, 20, 21, and then coming back to Scotland after a year of, you know, really, really... You're a very different person at that stage. But once you've had that experience, it is life-altering. I think it it changed all of us. Um, Whether you went abroad or whether you just worked for for a company, Mm -hmm. it was massive because when I was at at Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, I was working now, I didn't have a driver's license, so I was traveling in and I was going from the south side of Glasgow to Erskine, which meant I started at half past seven in the morning, which meant leaving at five, basically, um, every single day and getting in at half seven because my manager started at half seven, so it was very much, you will also start at half seven. So that meant that I finished at four o'clock um, which was annoying because the, the bus to get to the train station to get home was at four, so I missed it every day. Um, and 
one of the eventualities that led to me sort of not having a great time at Hill Pack Enterprise was I started leaving early without telling anyone, which wasn't good. Um, mm. Five minutes every day to make this bus, basically. But that was a confidence thing. Had I just asked, I'm yeah. sure it would have been not a problem. But I didn't yeah, have confidence been. to ask because of this anxiety that, that I had at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it changed all of us. It gave me, that was my first ever taste of routine, ever. Mm. I'd never been forced, and to this day, I still struggle with routine quite a lot. Um, sleep cycle, waking cycle is, is something that when I'm left without something to do, my mind goes in a bad place and I need yep. to keep busy. I think you're probably quite similar to me in that in that sense as well, that you always want something going. Um, which is why we now have the Better Thoughts podcast because I ended up having too much free time and I got in a bad place again. And yep. I thought, what can I do? So the charity that I own, Better Thoughts Campaign, started to grow and grow and grow. And I decided to do this to try and try and help people. So what, basically what I'm getting at here is all these experiences all mature what you do. So I think mm-hmm. something that's key to take from your story is take take the opportunities take experiences you like you said you didn't have a you're not like the average person that grows up thinking oh i'd I'd love to be a professional footballer you Mm. fell into it there was an opportunity that came you went yeah yeah let's go for it let's do it i'll try it didn't like it let's take a step back okay i like this but i want to go to uni let's try that love it Mm. i want to go abroad i want can i do that let's test myself let's let's do that you're a fit person how fit are you? Can you run a marathon? Let's do that. Mm. And I think that that sort of comes down to, it was when you were at Boston, that I learned more about you. So basically me, myself and my girlfriend came to visit Robbie in Boston. Um, Robbie and a girl called Elsa, who was in our class, was the two people who went to Boston that year. And myself, my girlfriend, Louise, I went to go and visit them and stayed with them for a week. So a week, two weeks, a week. It was a week. It was a week, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's where, so up until this point, my view of Robbie, which is still still my view of Robbie, is that Robbie was the most inspirational, confident, like an idol of mine, basically. And Robbie still is an idol of mine, definitely. Um, Your check's in the post, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I've, I've, always, I've always said this about you, and you know, you know, you know I've always thought this about you. Um, I've always looked up to Robbie in terms of like his confidence and things like that. It was in Boston that I learned a bit more deeper about you yeah. and how all these things that you do that made me think you were so confident and you were the perfect person mentally is because you weren't. Yep. It's because you did have difficulties, but what you did is you forced yourself to, to hit them and to battle them and to get through them. So how... You can go into go into as much as you want and don't want things like that. I completely understand things like that. Mm-hmm. How was Boston? How was it moving and trying to? You're with Elsa, who is you'd say one of your best friends, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, great support. How is it trying to manage yourself in a foreign country, working and living for a year away from everyone? And how did you cope with that, basically? Um, I guess you could say that I didn't cope in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, it comes back to that, you know, constantly testing yourself. I knew that it was going to be a massive challenge moving to Boston before I went, 
and it turned out to be so. You don't, you, you know, it's when you're, that was also my first time living with only one person, living with Elsa, yeah. living with a girl. You know, Elsa and I are lucky that we have so much more in common than we don't. So, yeah. so that, that is well, they are just like best friends. Yeah. I mean, I don't like see a... Elsa as much now, but, you yeah. know, I miss her a hell of a lot, but we're very, very similar. Um, and so we benefit from that. But I mean, in terms of how I lived across there, it's a different culture. It's a different way of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I very much went with the with the view that, and I think that everybody from Scotland thinks this when they go abroad, you know, people automatically gravitate towards you. I'm not trying to yeah. say that Scotland is above anywhere else, but what I'm saying is that it when you go, does happen, yeah. it, it's a point of interest, right? I mean, in terms mm-hmm. of meeting people, Elsa and I went over there and we had no friends. We had nobody. We didn't know anybody. It's not as if we went over there because we had contacts and we could have an infrastructure around us. We knew absolutely nobody. We had to go and make friends. I mean, how do you make friends when you're dropped in a country? And you're 20 years old as well. It's not 20 years old. You're under (laughs) under the legal age. You can't go to a bar and meet someone. In Boston, they're very strict. There was no chance we could sneak into a bar. It's like, how do you meet people apart from approach them in the street and say, hello, I'm Robbie. I'm from Scotland. Nice to meet you. Can we be friends? that's pretty much it so i mean in terms of the first couple of weeks so we were there for i believe about three or four weeks before we actually started our jobs we went in to say hello introduced ourselves, um got some onboarding packs read through that did all the touristy stuff but even at that point it was just me and elsa and i'm sure that elsa will tell you that i was not an easy person to live with at that time i was not an easy person to live with throughout because i'm very you know very single-minded in my approach very I guess bold in the way that I do things. I knew that we had to make friends in some capacity. So yeah. I got very close to the guys in my office, tried to involve myself in as much as, as much as I possibly could. But again, that's not something that comes naturally to me. I had to take myself out of what I was feeling and really put myself out there. Yeah. And to do that all the time is exhausting. It's yeah. mentally exhausting. I mean, you can't, you can't put on a persona 24 hours a day. It doesn't happen. I mean, I'm a very confident and, and, person. And did, you the feel, fact that, did you feel like it was a persona? Initially, yeah. Yeah. But you you know, the power of repetition, you do something enough times, you become that person. The person that I went to Boston yeah. as was not the person that came home. The person yeah. that I came home yeah. as when I was in fourth year, I was talking to anybody and everybody. When you're in the habit of meeting people, talking, spark, you know, where are you from? Scotland. Oh, I've got family. You know, you're constantly making and I think that's what we've lost across lockdown. It's it's yeah. the skill, you know, small talk is gonna become an issue for all of us when we come back to normal Definitely. life. Small talk, you know, we're out of the habit of using those skills every day to talk to people. I talk to the guy that works up in Tesco. He's a lovely lad. He's an Indian guy. We talk every single day. And he's the only person that I can hang my hat on talking to face-to-face every day. Yeah. It's, that, you can't that go is, anywhere. That, you can't do anything. But you know, you can go to the shop and he'll be there. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah exactly. So we're, we're out of the habit doing that. But I was, so, I was very – I came back from Boston an unbelievably confident person because I had to be. Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll really surprise yourself when your back's against the wall and you have no other option. You will surprise yourself at how much you can do. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to me in Boston. And we eventually met a lot of a lot of Scottish and Irish people over there, a massive Scottish and Irish contingency over there. Um, Definitely. Yep. Elsa's a massive Celtic fan. We went to the Celtic Supporters Club. I went to the Liverpool Supporters Club, met guys there. And it's, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, it was exhausting. And, yeah. you, know, I, you know, when I worked at the university, I met a girl there. The biggest thing that happened for me in Boston was... I, I traveled to Cuba to meet this this girl that at the time I thought was the be all and end all. Um, mm. Went out to Cuba to receive some unsettling news that she was with someone else. And, yeah. you know, wh- when you go through something like that, and anybody that's been to Cuba, when you go to Cuba, there's no Wi Fi, there's no computer, you know, it's not as if I could book a flight home at that point. I was stuck. This is there. another time where you have thrown yourself into a situation and you are alone. 
exactly. like football, like Boston, like mm-hmm. the start of uni, and like like Cuba. Yep. I mean, I, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head. I throw myself into things without really thinking about it. Yeah. You know, it's just another thing that I can tick off on my bucket list. You know, yeah. it's it's something that I, you know, even the challenge of, I, I feel like I've always tried to do things that a lot of people would, on balance, choose not to do. And I'm not yeah. saying that I'm right for doing that. I'm just saying that I do it for better or for worse. I mean, I went to Cuba. There was an embargo on travel from America to mm-hmm. Cuba at the time. The relationship between the US and Cuba was not good. I had to lie about my reason for going. I had to apply for a visa. I had to cite that I was going to support the Cuban people. That was the reference that I used, which is essentially yeah. shop at independently owned shops, go to independently owned museums, anything out with government control because it's a communist yeah. country. So it was very, very hard to get there. But it's something that when I cite to people that I've done, it's a case of, Jesus Christ, like, why, why did you do that? It's, it's, it's almost a shock to people, but at the time, it just felt normal for me. And yeah. that kind of, I guess, articulates I, the kind of complex character that I am. I was going to say, you mentioned this phrase that I want to touch on that you said, and you said, when your back's to the wall, be amazed things that you can do. Do you think then, so when, so when you went to Boston, so when I came to visit you in Boston, I loved it. Like, that was amazing for me, because I had one week, and I went with friends i had robbie i had elsa i had my girlfriend as well so i went with a network and then you could take us out to places and everything like that um and you touched on obviously when you went you're under the legal age um i was also i managed to get around it um obviously when i went to uni i was under the legal age as well got around that everything because in scotland socially you have to mm. i wasn't gonna not go out in first year i had to, yep. to make friends and I think this is something that I know people that chose not to go to college or uni. And I think, how, how do you have friends? Where did you meet people? And I think that's something that obviously you have a skill there that, that I think I don't. Because you went to Boston and because you, you also went traveling in South America yourself, um, you, you have a skill there that, that you have to be open with people. But I think it's something that mentally you're not actually comfortable with. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. You you said a word there. You said I had to be that way. That's exactly what it was. It's not a skill that I possess. I had to be that way. I knew that when I went traveling in South America, I I had to be that way. And this is the thing that I learned about you is, and that that helped me. And this is what I'm I'm trying to tell them. Hopefully there are people listening to this this far. I know we've gone on for a long time. Hopefully there's (laughs) someone listening. What I'm trying to tell you is try things. While it, what I learned from Robbie and what Robbie's given me in my life is that it's within the uncomfortable that you become comfortable, and that's something that I've learned from Robbie, um, from from knowing him, which has been huge for me, because he done these things, Boston traveling in South America. Why why did you go traveling in South America on your own? What what happened? What? <laughs> I met Ilsa's brother Johnny. <laughs> that's what happened. I'm serious. I met Ilsa's brother Johnny, and Johnny was when I was living in Boston. Johnny was Johnny been living in South America for six years. Six yeah. years, wow. and he went over there by himself. That long, wow. He there, yeah, he was. So he was. He was working in Mexico for I think four years. He was working for a travel agency over there, and then he went traveling in South America after that, and just got lost. He's a he's a total nomad, Johnny. He's the most confident yeah, guy you'll ever meet. Definitely I took a lot from Johnny. I really did. I mean, Johnny's a great guy. Hearing about your hearing about his experiences and what he did, you know, carving out a life for himself. There's something to be admired about that, and yeah. I think that maybe it's male tendency to do this. But I'm thinking I can do that. 
you know, yeah. when you see something on TV, it's like, oh, I, could, I could do that. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you and you get yourself in this headspace where you're like, you know, it becomes a reality. You know, it's the end of university. I was lucky, you know, I was fortunate enough to get a first and I'll say fortunate in terms of I worked very, very hard. I was going to say you, you, I wouldn't say you were for, I see, I'd say you earned that because I didn't get a first. I got a two one. And I think there is a clear market difference in our work and our discipline. You know, I believe I, I could have got a first, but I didn't go to the level that you did. So I, I, see, I, I see that you definitely earned it. I, I just knew that I had to sacrifice my life in fourth year, which is what I did. Yeah. Um, I knew that when I came back from Boston, and again, I'm in the habit of being disciplined, getting up early, yeah. working. You know, when you take that back into fourth year, that's going to stand you in good stead. 100%. That's what I did. I mean, I, in terms of, you know, I was having a conversation with one of my family members, and they were like, Robbie, you're taking on far too much. I, I ran the London Marathon in the April, and we had our dissertation to submit in the June. I worked at Nike yeah. in Glasgow. And I was in uni every day. Never, hardly missed a class in fourth year unless I absolutely had to. Yeah, um, I think I was the same. Fourth year was the first time that I really buckled down because I knew I had to. I think um, if I don't know if dissertations are an American thing, your thesis probably you call it. Yeah, thesis. This is the this is huge. The biggest part of your whole university college career is this piece of writing that you complete to run a marathon. June, I can't imagine. Do I? My, I shut my life down. To write that, mm. yeah. I would never. I want. I want to go back to uni again. I want. I want to do another course. I want to. Had I, this is what I always talk about. This is what I'm saying about having this thought of the, is this what I want to do? Yep. I regret doing business at uni now because I don't ever want to use that degree for what it is. Just don't. I right now. I wish I would have done nursing, and become a mental health nurse. But I only want to do that because of the experiences I had through doing business at uni so it's a weird it's a weird life to be in it's a weird point in my life to be in um i'm very happy for the experiences that i had the people that i've mm. met and the, the relationships that i've got from uni so i definitely wouldn't change that um mm. but i think you know i definitely had to shut shut my life down to achieve a 2-1 which is the stage below the grade that, that robbie got which still a very very good grade i would say yeah absolutely um, definitely but Robbie, Robbie got the top grade whilst working at Nike, whilst also running the London Marathon. How did you balance that in fourth year? It wasn't so much running the London Marathon itself because that's an unbelievable day. Like, I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll never. So I'm running another marathon in September. Um, yeah. Again, put myself what, out there, testing what myself. What you, what, what you running? In? I'm running a marathon in Brighton, down yeah. in England. I've never, never been to Brighton. Heard great things. Yeah. Um, but again, it's. You know, off the back of lockdown and relative inactivity, for me, I'm a very active person. Yeah. It's another thing where it's just like setting myself a goal. It's not so the point that I was making there is it's not so much running the London Marathon because that's just a brilliant day. The marathon's hard, yeah, don't get me wrong, but yeah, people lining the streets, cheering you on, it's an incredible experience. It was Coming the training from an that was hard. Background, you'll thrive with that as well. Yeah, you're used, to, you're used to performing on you're used to being an on-the-day performer. I call myself that as well. I think we, there was one point we touched on male tendencies, and I think it's both positive and, ne- and negative. A male, a male stereotype tendency is to look at somebody and think, I can do that. Yep, I definitely. can beat that. I can beat that person at that. I think that about a lot of things. But then at the same time, as I say, I don't. Um, but I also have, and I think it's sport that gives this to people, that I, yep. I would call myself an on-the-day performer. I don't tend to study for things. I don't tend to go over things. I'm an all-day performer. 
And a, a great example of this is fourth year of uni. There was a presentation that we did, and it was a very, very important presentation for us. Um, myself and Robbie were, were in a team, so do some teamwork and uni do some single work. And we had to do a presentation on social marketing and business. And this, for me, I don't know, if, probably for you as well, for me, this was a make it or this was going to decide whether I got a 2-1, which mm-hmm. is you're told in uni is the minimum you need, basically, or a 2-2. Mm-hmm. Because the, the week prior to this presentation, I received a very bad grade. Yep. And a subject I, I genuinely did try in. This I went. This is this. I think this is the only class management issues and concepts. And I remember it. And I remember the mm-hmm. tutor as well. I thought I got on with him great, and I learned that I didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. Various various different things happened with this with this man, but um, I tried a lot in that class, and I received a very bad grade. And one of the things that I want to talk to universities about is how grades are given out. I don't know if you remember this. We received that grade in class. We were sat in social marketing class and we received, we were going over what this eventual presentation would contain. Yep. And we were given an email that had the grade for the previous class, the management issues and concepts class. And I want to get universities to stop doing that because I had to leave that, I had a panic attack in that class and I burst into tears in that class. I don't know if you remember that. I just got up and left. I I do. I remember you leaving. And coming back in, yeah, I don't remember actually receiving that grade. I didn't was, know that that was the trigger. Yeah, the email, like, I mean, email came through because we knew it was coming that day. I do remember. And we got an email with the grade, and I was one of the ones that checked it because I I can't not check it. I'm an overthinker. I've got anxiety. I have yeah. to check it, and it was bad. Um, I passed by one percent out of forty-one, which. It's not good in fourth year. Um, I don't. I don't even remember that presentation, Adam. I don't even remember what it was the, about. I remember the presentation that you and I did together. I don't remember the other presentation the at all. Pres- so the, yeah, the presentation I'm talking about is the business card one, the infamous presentation. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So because I received that bad grade in management issues and concepts, I needed a, a grade of first degree quality in this presentation. So what what you're saying is to make it clear. So yep. this 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 class was half a written essay or report that you did, and it was yep. half this presentation that we did together. That's right. Yeah, got it. So 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 I I needed this presentation to be the best presentation ever. And I'll be honest, and that I didn't prepare very much. I only prepared a lot for that because you were in the team, and as you say, you are very. You're a bold person and you know how you want to do things. Mm-hmm. You organized how we prepared for that. Basically, you set up sessions mm-hmm. um, whereby we would go in together and we would work on it mm-hmm. and we would prepare it and practice it. But I didn't really pay much attention during those because I called myself an on-the-day performer, yep. which is weird when you have anxiety because you would think it's the opposite. But I think that having anxiety and being an anxious person makes you so much better prepared to perform in anxious situations. Yeah. Because I've experienced basically what a panic attack is, what anxiety is, is fight or flight. Your body goes into fight or flight response. And I've experienced that 
more than the average person, I would say. There's been thousands of times where my body has gone into this response. So I'm very, very comfortable now with being in this state of panic, which is why I'm good on the day of performing. So what, what I'm getting to with all this, how are you with that? So although you can do all these great things and you mentioned you're, when you're back to the wall, you can do these amazing things and you have an anxiety within you, but you can perform and you do have these experience, things like that. Tell the story of the presentation basically is, is what I'm... <laughs> yeah, so, I, so obviously what's that, what Adam's saying is that I was the guy that essentially coordinated printing off these business cards, these flyers, um, hand, you know, coordinating meetings so that we're prepared. And on the day, I completely over-prepared for doing that presentation. And I over-prepared yeah. for it and I built myself up so much for it in terms of being so pumped up to do this presentation that it was me that eventually missed out a page of notes that I'd done and completely <laughs> rendered the presentation into <laughs> chaos, more or less. Nobody knew what was happening. So essentially, I had we were a theory, we were a, a theoretical business. Essentially, we set up a business. We were pitching to a company about our concept. Yeah. And as part of this, I had these business cards made up, these flyers. We all had the same tie on. It we looked brilliant. Very good. I'll try and I'll try and get the photo and I'll superimpose the photo here. But we all we were very, very <laughs> professional. We took it very, very seriously. Yeah. Which as I say is not I'm not used to that because yeah. I'm an on the day performer. I don't usually do all of this. Yeah. But continue. I think that because I, I, I got so pumped up, I missed out a complete page of notes. And I told, after I was to finish the page that I missed out, I then move on to something else. Then I say, Adam, can you hand out the business cards, the flyers, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so I'd missed out an entire page. Missed so out the point. We are like five minutes between each other at this point. I'm yeah. here and you're here. Yep. And this, this is where, so this is where this happens. Basically, you, so how did you respond to that? How did you feel about that? Because I know how you felt about it, and brutal. I mean, you remember me after it, right? Yeah. I mean, I was absolutely. I was. I was, I was worried about you after that because I, I. It was fine. Like we did fantastically. We got a ninety-two in we, that presentation, I believe. One of the best. Which was grades. incredible. I so I knew going into this this class, and we all knew going into this class that we needed this grade to be good. Mm. I buttered up the shooter a wee bit, if you remember. I was a class rep in fourth year. Yeah. Hey, one of this class introduced myself. Good morning, Mr. Whatever his name was. I am the class rep for this class. If there's anything that you require, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm always reachable. I was very like trying to put myself in the best position because I knew that I needed this grade. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we all performed exceedingly well. I think it was, it was great. But I was really worried after that presentation, not about the score, because you, although you you had this point where you you messed up, you fixed it almost immediately, and it was very professional. It was it was it was fine. Yeah. Because you you caught yourself after a while. I think the presentation finished, and then I said, "Guys, as a follow up, I'm really yeah. sorry. I think yeah. I actually missed out a page there. A couple of key points that I want to just run over. I mean, it's God, everybody yeah. makes mistakes. For Which Christ. is a very I mean, professional it's... way to do it. And I think you, one, one, did you experience panic in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I experienced panic when I knew I'd done it. Because yeah. I went on to read the next page of notes and it didn't make sense. Yeah, because so, I, when you said Adam's going to hand this out, I looked at you and said no. 
and that's when <laughs> you were like oh uh, uh and then i oh. i stumble over the line <laughs> in the end but i mean that's what it's all about right i mean i could have i could I had the choice of doing one of two things i could have kept quiet yep. and that would have made me feel 10 times worse exactly. or i could follow up in the moment when we're standing up there in front of the whole class i could apologize and say i mean I I completely understand now that it's not just me that feels this stuff. Everybody that stood in yep, front of that class exactly, the week exactly. before, the week after, they all feel this anxiety that I had that day. I didn't actually feel anxiety. I just got so just so wound you up. You know about what? It. I speak unbelievably fast. I think unbelievably fast. I miss out a page. I take two pages instead of one. I put them at the back. Yeah, and that's it. Like that. It you know like that was the mistake that I'd made. But if you can, you know, maybe perhaps three years prior when I was in first year or second year, I wouldn't yeah. have done that. I wouldn't this have is what I'm that. trying to get to. You, yeah. because of these experiences, you were better equipped to manage a state of panic there. I I would say that um, this all comes down to the, the, the big, big message that I want people to gain from, from you and from your story. And this is something that's on my bucket list now is just do more things. Just do things. Don't just do things. You could have panicked and thought, oh my God, I've ruined it. You didn't. You thought, oh my God, right, I need to do this thing to fix yeah. this. And you did it. And it was perfect to me. Got an amazing score. And I got the grade that I needed. You got the grade that you needed. And we both left university with our target grades because I'd never targeted for a first. I, I knew from day one I wasn't capable of that or didn't think I was capable of that. I don't know if I am or if I wasn't, maybe, maybe I was. Um, but I didn't target for that at all. And after receiving that bad grade, it, it was it was an impossibility for me yep. to get that grade after receiving the bad one that I got. Um, so to finalise the point on that grade, what I'm what my message to universities in Scotland and abroad is, and what I'm going to take to them. So I have one student ambassador, a boy called Andrew, who is at University of Strathclyde, who's fantastic. He's wrote blogs on the website. If you go and check them out. Anything written by Andrew Cullen, he's a great guy. He goes to the University of Strathclyde and he's one of my student ambassadors for the Better Thoughts campaign. I'm going to work with him. He doesn't know it yet. But I'm going to work with him um, to stop universities emailing out the grade that you receive at a certain time. Because I, that was horrible. I had to leave. I had a panic attack in class. I burst into tears in class and I left. And that could have had very, very detrimental effects on me. But I had to, like you said, my back was pushed up against the wall and I had to react. Had I not have been a stronger person, had that happened to me a few years prior, it would have been been done. I would have quit. I would have given up on uni. I wouldn't have seen it out. It would have been very, very bad. So I think that the current way that grades are given out in Scotland universities is horrible because it can have such a bad effect on, on, on a student's mental health, especially to be sitting in a class that is important to you and receive this grade. It, it was terrible for me. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to work on that. I'm going get, to get in contact with universities. I don't know how, I don't know what the best way to do it is. Um, maybe make sure that all emails go out after the closing time of classes of that day and make it something you opt into so you can log into the system and you can check that grade, not give you an email that says your result is bang. Let's yeah, especially that. surrounded by your classmates. I mean, in terms of when yeah. that comes out there and then. Because not everyone not gets the... them as well. Not everyone gets them at the same time. 
right, okay. the person beside you, if you remember, because obviously emails are emails, the person mm-hmm. beside you could get a 90, but you've not received your email yet. Yeah. Then two minutes later, if you're like me, you get 41 and you want to finish uni in a, in a moment and you have to leave. Yeah. But sorry, get- go on. No, that's what I was going to say, mate. Just to expand on that point, comparison is the thief of joy. If you've got someone in your class, if I've identified, so there's certain people in our class that I knew were smart. I knew were academic. I knew were going to get a good grade. So my first instinct is whenever I get a grade, I'm going to compare myself to that person to understand if I'm above the threshold or below the threshold. To do that in that kind of pressure cooker environment when a class is going on and everyone's receiving those grades at the same time, it essentially ends up in a situation whereby you've experienced what you went through because exactly. e- even without comparing to other people, you know, essentially in university, what's classified as good and what's not a 60 and over in university yeah. in America, they'll, they will not think the same thing because I worked with students in Boston where a 60 is like world ending stuff. A 60 yeah. in UK universities is classified as a 2-1 year, grade. In first year, I took 40s. A 40 is a pass. Mm-hmm. which is weird because it's less than half of the knowledge which makes no sense you need yep. to understand less than half of your degree to get a degree yep. which is weird but anyway yeah first year i took 40s i was fine with them because i knew they didn't matter at the end of the day it's your third and fourth year performance that dictates the degree that you get so i didn't i didn't really care but to get that that grade in fourth year was tough for me and the reason i said about the relationship um, I ended up, I got an extension given to me on my dissertation, so my final dissertation. I believe I also had an extension on another piece of work. I think I was ill. I can't remember if it was mental health related or, or if it was on the back of this, but I was having a breakdown essentially and I needed more time. I couldn't, I couldn't do the work. So I was given more time because of that. But I was also given more time because our dissertation, you're given a tutor assigned to you who will specifically help you with your dissertation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you how your relationship was, but I never got a reply from mine <laughs> the whole of fourth year. Mine was um, great. He was a good guy. He was a hipster. He used to smoke roll-up cigarettes and wore a beanie. I liked him. <laughs> <laughs> I, mine decided to, I, I don't know to this day the reason behind that I could be being a horrible person. He could have had a, a trauma in his life or whatever. But he went on work leave and didn't tell me. And no one told me. So I was emailing him chapters of my dissertation, expecting to hear back and say, this is good, this is bad, this is blah, blah, blah. And I, and I never got them. So in the end, I got an extension. And the person that was assigned to me was the person that gave me this horrible grade in another class. So that's why I didn't, didn't really get on with him. Um, yep. But to sum, to sum sort of all of this up, I think looking at your sort of progression through life and your, your story and everything all encompassed in one and, and, and if we've missed anything tell me and we'll go through it but i think you're a great example of where you know a good upbringing definitely good opportunities in life but as everyone does you experienced hardships and you had to learn which is a key phrase that you had to learn how to get through them so what, what I want to know from you and what I want you to tell the people is we'll split it into two things. First of all, back to football, young footballers. If there is a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old out there right now, um, footballer, 
who maybe has a dream of being a footballer or maybe is in a similar situation to you because there's lots of them. My little cousin is one of them, I think. I don't know if he wants to be it or not. I think he can. I think he's got the talent for it. I don't know if he wants to or not. He's very academic. He's very, very smart. He gets all A's. Very, very smart. Um, he's was or is at Rangers. One mm. of the two. Um, what is your advice to someone like that in that situation as a young footballer in Scotland? I, I think I think two things. I think if we're talking about the category of 16, 17, I think, number one, you need to start with a completely honest and transparent assessment of where you are. Mm-hmm. I think that in Scotland, I think that if you're going to be a case of, you know, maybe where I was at Falkirk, maybe perhaps getting a professional contract and then not making it in the first team, not being quite good enough to go on to better things. If you are to slowly trickle down the system in Scotland and you're ending up at 28 years old, you've, inv- you've put all your eggs in one basket, you've invested in being a footballer, it can all be taken away from you very, very quickly. Yeah. And if you find yourself in that position at 28 years old in Scotland, if you're not at the top echelon at clubs, and when I say top echelon, I mean Rangers and Celtic. So for yeah. kind of wider listers, that's the two biggest clubs in Scotland. You are not making a career out of football for the long term, unless there's a yeah. very finite amount of jobs in coaching and punditry. Education is absolutely fundamental. I think that a message yeah. that I was given at Hearts was that education is not important. You do it. So when I was at Hearts, we were under the age of 18. So legally, we had to do one hour of education per week. And we had the nicest woman ever. She came in. She worked with us. She was lovely. I wanted to do an open university course. And one of my teammates told me, get that out of your head. You're never going to university. That's what he said to me, verbatim. Um, was this ignore... a, an adult team member? This No, this was a team member of the under 20s. But the coach right. directly told us, yeah. education is not important. Focus on your football. Yeah. Ignore the noise. Yeah. Speak with someone you trust. If you think you have a good relationship with your parents and they're not pushing you into doing something you don't want to do, have that open and honest, transparent conversation. I, be- I promise you, you'll be better for it. Yeah. Um, and if you, if football is your passion, if football is your dream, I'm not saying that I want to take that away from you, but always have a backup. Always yeah. have something that you can fall back on because a career in football is very short. And if you don't make it in that top echelon of teams, you will work eventually. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. So I think um, in Scotland specifically, to sort of jump in quickly, I know a few people um, who are currently at professional Scottish clubs, um, teams like Hamilton, Partick Thistle, teams like that, young guys, one of them, uh, one of them thinks 18, 19, the other one was a year above me at school, so he'll be 24. They're in that situation of, is it going to be Celtic Rangers? Is it going to be... Blackburn Rovers? Is it going to be like an English championship team, somewhere like that? Because that that is the route to make it a life, I think. And I think that's what you're what you're saying. If you are if you're passionate about it and you've got a good talent, but you're playing at a level that isn't the top two in Scotland or in England, anywhere in England really, mm-hmm. it's not a career yet. And you need to think about your life in general don't take away the passion definitely don't take away the dream but have that conversation with someone about your 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 opportunities and there's a guy there's a guy i'm gonna have on the podcast called kenny uh flip the mindset who was a professional footballer and um, who had to come out due to injury but he had rangers looking at him um and there was a crossroads for him which is a great story where rangers were either going to sign chris boyd or him and he had a similar thing to you where he was glad 
they went with Chris Boyd. Yep. They he didn't want to do it. Didn't didn't have it in him. Which mm-hmm. I think is what you're saying there. Be honest. Yep. I think I th- your I think downfall th- is be not being honest with your parents about it, maybe. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that a, a stock take every summer, you get two weeks off in summer, sit down with people who are completely non-biased, do not sit down with your agent, sit down with yeah. your parents and your family, people that have your best interests at heart, not somebody that wants yeah. to put you in a direction Even you don't want to go in. extended family members as well. Of course, extended family members, friends, whoever you can open up to. And I think that if you have that conversation every year in Scotland, you need to take it year by year because you never know what's around the corner. You never know when clubs are going to be on the brink. You never know when they're going to go into administration. Yeah, exactly. That's big yeah. in Scotland. It's absolutely massive in Scotland. So I think if the, money's, you can, the money's not there right now. If you can honestly sit down every summer and say, I've still got a pathway to where I want to be, then stick at it. Of course, stick at it. Yeah. But if you see yourself slowly trickling down to League One, League Two, you're going part time. Yep. And if you're going part time, you need a job. Yep. So, Definitely. I mean, I, I know that's quite a brutal assessment, but I think that that's the most. I think people need to have pragmatic. a realistic view of it, though. And yep. that word you're saying, pragmatic, it's Scotland 10 years ago. It would have been different. You would have, you would have given different advice if you were this age ten years ago. I think. Yeah. Where we are now it is different. Hopefully, it does change. I think. Who knows? Uh, the way the way Celtic Rangers is going. Who knows? We might see improvement. We might see more money in Scottish football. Hopefully, we do. Um, mm-hmm. there is a reform in the lower end of Scottish football, the junior leagues, etc. Um, anyone that's into Scottish football, if you're not, if you're American, this is going to make no sense. But previously, junior football was there was no progression. But now you can progress going forward. You can go from junior football to League Two, League One, etc., which is very, very good for Scotland overall, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, away from football in general, so Robbie as a person, what's your advice to someone with anxious tendencies, with anxious thoughts, with an overall anxiety within them? What is your, what is your advice to them? I would say don't rule anything out. I would yep. say that, you know, if if you are in a position where you're anxious because you don't know what you want to do in your life, we've all been there. I would say that you don't need to know what you want to do in your life. Rule yep. out what you don't want to do. I ruled out football mm-hmm. very, very early. I was very fortunate that I ruled out football at 17 and not 28. If I'd ruled football out at 28, I'm in a much different position to the one that I'm yeah. in right now. Much, um, much harder to, to go through university, things like that later yep. on in life. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. And by process of elimination, you will eventually get there. It might not be by the age that you want to have everything sorted out. And believe me, I do not have everything sorted out. Yeah. Um, but I think that don't rule anything out. Um, put yourself out there, even if it's something that overwhelms you. And trust me, I'm the most overwhelmed human being on the planet. I have done things in my life that I never thought I would do. I have moved to America at 20. I have gone to university when I thought I was condemned to a life in football that I didn't enjoy. I went traveling for four months by myself with a backpack on my back in South America. I met the most amazing people. And these people, while not, you can't compare them directly, everybody out there has a story to tell. And I believe that if you are confined to a certain number of people, you've got a very limited scope on what life is like for other people. And it's through other people's experiences that you learn more about yourself, you learn more about them, and you learn more about how people behave and are. Yeah. And that will spark a, a more cultured view of how you interact socially. Yeah. That will make you more likely to want to put yourself in positions where you're out with people. I mean, I've you know everybody has those times where they want to lock themselves away and be that by themselves. I've been there. 
I can only spend, I'm an only child, I can only spend so much time with other people. Ilsa in Boston will tell you this, I need to have that hour by myself. And that's absolutely fine. So what I would say is there's no exact... There's no exact science for any of this. Find out what works for you. But the, the important thing in finding out what works for you is do not rule anything out. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. Um, to come at it from from my end of things, I would say if you... So all of this, this is a very sort of holistic approach to, to life. Um, if you've nailed all of this or you think you've nailed all of this and you're on a path, you're happy with the path and you've got a good support system and you still experience these issues and you still experience things like the panic and things like that, speak to A, your family member and B, your general physician, your doctor, someone. Speak to someone about it. Have a conversation about it. It's not shameful at all. Um, I've had many conversations. Now, what I will say is there does need to be reform in Scotland on how we treat mental health. I've had many conversations with doctors that have not gone the way that I thought they should have or that I thought had been beneficial to me. But I would still say if you experience symptoms of any mental illness to speak to someone about it. One of two, one of three things, sorry, are going to happen. You are A, going to be confirmed to be experiencing some sort of mental illness and you will be offered medication you won't be given medication, you'll be offered medication and you'll be, sometimes you'll be told fully what that means. So for me, I was offered a drug called sertraline at the age of 20, which I'm not a doctor, but I don't believe a male should be taking sertraline at the age of 20 unless absolutely necessary. So I declined, which was fine. Next step, I was offered uh, counselling, which you may be offered before medication. Be aware of that. Some people, counselling, cognitive behavioural therapy is fantastic. Some people, it is it can change their life in, in a heartbeat. One session can, can be an absolute turnaround for you. It's not for me, unfortunately. So, so, so that's not for me. The third thing that might happen is you, you might realise and the doctor might tell you, this is just normal. This is just normal life. If it's hard, there are natural things that you can do and you can take um, that can help. Um, so in general, I think to come back again, so to the medication side, for things like anxiety, there are anxiety medications that are things that will stop the immediate effect of a panic attack. I am prescribed a drug called propranolol, which does that. If you, you can do your research about that, if you want and speak to your doctor about that, um, it's not, you can take it every day. I take it as only needed. Um, in terms of a, an antidepressant, there are two types. Look them up. S-S-R-I, S-N-R-I. Look them both up. Do your research. Speak to a doctor about them. I take an S-N-R-I because I don't believe in S-S-R-I's. Again, I'm not a doctor. Um, but what I would say is make sure that you have a full conversation with the doctor about it and make sure they explain to you the possible side effects and what happens with them. In terms of natural things, um, I'm going to be going through tons and tons of stuff with Insight uh, that I use. I'll rhyme off some of the things that are a constant mon monthly order for me. Um, I take a sleep aid every single night. There are a few that are fantastic. Supplement Needs, um, which is formulated by Dr. Dean St. Mark. Supplement Needs Sleep, sleep Stack is fantastic. Quite expensive, but clinically it's it's fantastic. There are um, 
alternatives, things like Foresight's Restore as well, do research on those. Uh, little things that you might not think about, multivitamins, fish oils, everything like that. I know it sounds stupid to say, or oh, you're depressed, take a multivitamin. It helps. Overall health um, helps. And one of the things that we, I can't remember if we spoke about pre-recording or post-recording, uh, that I have taken from Robbie, CBD. CBD is fantastic. So I now, I don't know how much you take or what you, what you do with it. I take 30 milligrams every day um, before bed, about two hours before bed. I use it to help me sleep. But I also find it helps me throughout the day as well. Um, so I'd highly recommend that. Robbie, put me on to that. Yep, fly the flag for CBD. I take 20 milligrams in the morning and 20 milligrams straight for before bed. Yeah. Um, I just I think, find that it helps think there's overall a, there's sleep. A body weight, there's a body weight ratio that you yeah. can look up for that. So that's why I take more before bed than Robbie does because body weight uh, differences. But definitely do your research. If, if you don't believe in doctor-prescribed medications, do your research on CBD. This this is vegan CBD soft gels from Belibus. don't know. Just found them online. But they're very good. Um, affordable as well, I thought, uh, which is good. So, in general, Robbie, thank you very much. I keep double-checking that we are recording because this is the first time we're doing this. We are. <laughs> um, we've rambled on for a lot longer than I thought we would, but I think it, this has been fantastic. It's been a great chat. Um, I think we've covered a lot of stuff. And, yeah, I just want to thank you for coming on and thank you for telling your story. Hopefully, as I say, it's very early days. Hopefully, there's still someone listening whether it's like my mum or whatever. Thank you. Um, my parents, mate, definitely. It's yeah. been a pleasure, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've talked for, what, two hours, 15 minutes, something like that? Yeah, I think the aim, the aim was to do 45 minutes. <laughs> was it? Yeah, oh. the, aim was, the aim was to do 45 minutes, but I think, nah, it's it's very, very good because we've, we've covered a lot. I think this has made me realise the direction of the podcast. I wanted it to be short form. I think now I prefer the long form, more Joe Rogan style, long, nice. long form content. H3, Joe Rogan, still podcast. I think we're gonna, they may realise that, which is going to be good. So hopefully um, hopefully you've enjoyed it. I've definitely enjoyed having you on, having a chat. And it's been great, mate. It's been great. I feel better. I feel lighter after that, to be honest. It's been so yeah. long since I've kind of it's recapped good, on these things, to be yeah. quite honest. So I've been racking my brains here. So apologies if things didn't come out as fast as <laughs> you'd wish for, but I'm actually racking my brains from six years yeah. ago now, which is crazy. Exactly, yeah. Um, and... I know for, obviously, apologies again if, if we do ramble on, but appreciative to everyone who has listened, does listen, does support. If you do struggle uh, with anything mentally, check out Better Thoughts campaign um, on Instagram, just shy of 20,000 followers, so give us a follow, become one of those 20,000. Um, the more people that we have, basically, it's not like a thing, one thing I don't agree with, is when people get popularity on uh, Instagram about minor health, they turn it into like a personal brand. The reason I want more followers is because more people listen. So I can lobby universities. I can lobby the Scottish government with more signatures, more people, things like that. So do give us a follow. Go to Better Thoughts, Better Thoughts Podcast on Instagram as well. Give that page a follow. Spotify, follow. Apple Podcast, follow. Five-star rating. If not five star, give me a message. What did you not like about it? Let me know. And then jump onto YouTube as well. Type in Better Thoughts Podcast. The YouTube channel will come up. Hit subscribe. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to chop up some little bits of video and highlights and, and we'll put those up. So lots of content for you. If you don't like the long form, you can watch the clips. So we'll have you covered. So again, thank you very much to Insights Ups. 
for the sponsor. Thank you very much to Robbie for coming on. And yeah, I hope you've all enjoyed. So cheers, guys. <laughs>